You're listening to Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy, brought to you by Everything Cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back to Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacey. My name is Ted Stoven. He's Wacey Anderson. And I would say that fall is Fall's happening, arrived, around, man. Fall is happening around us. It's crazy. It's crazy how fast it hits. It's like as soon as Labor Day weekend rolls up, it's like, okay, that's enough summer for all you guys. It's cold now. For anyone north of the 49th, it seems. Yeah, but, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't looked like at the forecast for a while here, but like it's been pretty decent. It's been pretty it's, decent. Like we've had a really like the weather's been pretty outstanding. It's been too hot for most folks for quite where a while. I the most though is in the in the in the evenings. Like as soon as like five or six o'clock hits, like you can notice it's significant it's a chilly. difference. Yeah, it's crazy. Even in the Okanagan. Even in the Okanagan, it's getting hmm. it's kind of shitty out here right now. It's smoky and oh. rainy and. We currently have no power at Jen's place, so you know yeah. we're just yeah. living. It looks like it gets cold again next week. Gonna almost freeze on Tuesday next week. Well, there's already snow at Sunshine Village, which is the ski oh, hill just wow. west of Calgary. So we'll be skiing here in the end of end of the October, probably early November. No, not usually not till late November. I'm out. I'll go later. You, <laughs> I guess you are a skier though. You're gonna go skiing soon. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? What are you gonna do this winter? What are you gonna do with yourself? Where are you gonna be? What's been going to be going on? Uh, I'll probably do kind of the same that I've been doing is bouncing back and forth between Calgary and and the Okanagan. Be nice. Mm-hmm. Do some skiing at Silver Star. I mean, the way things are shaping up, the fall's going to be fairly busy. Like, we go to Arizona here in three weeks, maybe a month now. What's the and date? Isn't it like the 14th or something? We leave. We leave well, the four, weekend of the 14th. Actually, I need to sit down to my schedule. I've been meaning to do that. But, yeah, the weekend of the 14th, my nephew gets baptized. And oh. then we fly out on the 18th, so just a little over a month. Then we oh, fly the to Arizona. Oh, it's a month. Okay. Yeah. And then shows on the 22nd or what? Shows on the 19th. And then we hang oh, out Wednesday. There for a few days. Yeah. Oh, cool. So we do, we're doing uh, Phoenix for two days, and then the show, Zach Bryan show, Wednesday night. And then we're going to Sedona for two days, and then back to Scottsdale for two days. Cool. Six nights away. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be cool. I've never been to Arizona, so I'm looking forward to that nice place should be good yeah. in october too it'll just be starting to cool down a bit should be anyways sounds like a few of our friends from the the kimes crew will be in attendance of the concert in the area at the time so it'll be nice to catch oh, right up with on them. right yeah. on and then yeah then right into the cfr basically cool man and then pbr finals and then maybe viva las vegas so by the time we know it's gonna be christmas yeah it's very true yeah you've got a little bit on the go there i guess and I guess so. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Today is what? Yeah, the fourteenth, and then yeah, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we Storm and I go to like fly to Nashville. Then we stay in Knoxville. Then we're in Bristol for a couple of days. Then we fly back on Sunday night. Go back to Calgary, and then I go right to Winnipeg. I'll be in Winnipeg later Sunday night. Then I'm there for two days, home for a couple of days. Then the podcast comes out on Wednesday. Got a couple of meetings that day. Then Thursday I go to Lethbridge, come back home Saturday night after Lethbridge PBR is done. 
Then we go right to St. Paul on the Sunday. So home for like one night and gone again. Then I'm not back uh-huh, till uh-huh. we're doing all those, that trip waste. You're coming along, do some sales with me. And we're going to be in the Northeast. And then we go to Drayton and Edson then mm-hmm. to Grand Prairie. Then you fly back. And then I do another few more days on the road. I do Grand Prairie and then I'll be back like on the third or fourth or fifth of October or something. So, um, yeah, then I'm home for like a little bit. I'll do some day trips. Then we got Medicine Hat. Then after Medicine Hat, we fly to LA the day after. And then uh, then we have a weekend off, the 20th, 22nd kind of weekend. Then Saskatoon the week after that. Then CFR. Then Edmonton. Then another couple weeks off. Then Vegas. So she's game on now. Ball it's game here. on. The PBR Canadian Cup Series is back. It is, it's not the Canadian Cup Series. It's the Canada Cup Series, actually. Canada Cup Series. Yeah. Canadian Canada. Yeah. It's Canada Cup. Anyways, the Cup is back. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was supposed to be a cup. I don't know if I've seen it yet. Isn't there supposed to be a trophy? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, Cover Truck won a trophy last year. Did he win a trophy? Yeah, it's yeah, on the thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. No, it's not there. Yeah, but, but he didn't hold it like they the Stanley Cup. Didn't they? I think they made a trophy. Yeah, there was one there. I'm pretty sure there was. But yeah. anyways, yeah, so, it's kind of cool. Man, and it's, hey, it's, it seems to be like a tight race in the standings heading into it. Yeah, good call. Let's look at that. Because I think I got to say, Logan Beaver has had a hell of a year so far. Very impressive, man. Yeah, as far as PBR Canada goes, and uh, you know, as far as the team series goes, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen it because we can't watch it here. Thanks a lot, Chad Blankenship. Don't have, we can't <laughs> watch PBR Canada up here. Get a good answer, but I forget what it was about. But anyways, uh, holy, Dusty Golden's been to two events and he's twenty second in Canada. That's kind of wild. Weston yeah, Davidson make, make it happen when you're there. Been to twelve and he's twenty fourth. I think they take the top twenty. But anyways, Jared Parsonage looks like he's gonna make the NFR. He's get right in there. Uh, Cole mm-hmm. Ashbrocker had a good week too. He should be making the finals now in the Bronc ride. And we're gonna have we might have six Canadian Bronc riders in the NFR this year, which is crazy. Talk. Deadly, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. pretty wild. And there's still a few big rodeos left. Like Edmonton's a tour rodeo now. Um, yeah, there's Hannah and stuff, and what's Pendleton's on right now. So I mean, those guys can still win a ton of money here in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, the end of the season, pretty wild though. Interesting looking yeah. at the stand. And one thing, one thing to account too for that I think we haven't really discussed is Sage is still like in the top 15 in the world. So Jared technically rolls like up a fifth. spot. Yeah. yeah Jared would roll up a spot. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so there's a little bit more wiggle room lately. there. A little more yeah. wiggle room there. I totally yeah. didn't even think of that. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So good for those guys. And man, it's pretty wild to look at these standings actually. There's like, there's only a few guys that really have been to 10 events or more. There's like a few that have been to a ton. Chad mm-hmm. Hartman's or Logan Beaver's been in the most. He's been to 33 events and he's first in the standings. He's ahead of Dakota Butter by 10 and a half points. Went over $40,000. PBR Canada standings. He's doing good. Dakota Butter, Brock Radford, Blake Smith, Aaron Roy all in the top five. So it's looking good for those guys. And those guys aren't too far out of it either. No, not at all. No, Dakota's yeah, so going to be a. Points. Gonna be quite the race to Edmonton here to see who ends up being the Canadian champ. I my money's on Dakota as it always is, but I think it's gonna be a pretty interesting race. You picking Dakota? Yeah, man, he's, I, I you, would like he's to heated see, up, man. I would be glad to see a guy like Brock win this one. Yeah, or totally. it'd be pretty crazy if Aaron Roy won one, or not won one, yeah. but like won his fourth. That'd be pretty crazy too. That's and that's a definite possibility. So for sure, you can never count Aaron Aaron out, man. You still got it, that old boy. Yeah, we'll see what uh, see what goes down there. But 
Man, speaking of that, like interesting to see like who's been to what events this year. There's been a ton of PBR Canada events. I don't think there's been a 33. I don't think Logan's been to all of them, but maybe he has. I don't mm-hmm. know, but a ton of events to get to. Um, Aaron's mm-hmm. been to 28. Um, Chad Hartman's been to 28 events as well. So Logan's, you know, put the work in, put the time in, and and you know, attempted 57 bulls ridden 24, which is kind of wild too. Um, Pretty good. Uh, but then you look at. Um, well, he's been to 21 Canadian road, Canadian rodeos too. Oh, geez. So he's going, he's hustling. He's gonna make the CFR too. I don't even know that. Uh, he's 14th right now, but he's close. But they haven't updated the standings in like three weeks. So who knows where he's really at? Cause he did well, I think in Armstrong. Oh, they updated it today. Posted September 14th. The rodeo was over, uh, (laughs) the, the long weekend was over what on the sick on the fifth. So 11 days later, we have updated standings. That's impressive. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so Colt Logan's he's knocking on the door. There's still a chance, but he could make both here. Huh. He's Jared Parsons, 57,000. It's impressive. Yeah, Anyways, CFR is coming up. That's good to see. Uh, PBR uh-huh. Canada Finals. Tune in, folks, if you're not. I guess if you're from America, you just got to watch the highlights on YouTube. If they're on YouTube, I guess. But uh, anyways, or see it on the social medias. But uh, But what else? So you're picking, you're picking Dakota. I'm going to pick Brock for PBR Canada. That's my guess. Sweet. Yeah. Um, but anyways, not a lot of guys going to a ton of events. And it brings me to my next point. JB Mooney had a uh, post he put out, which I thought was a bullshit at first. Post, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was bullshit at first. I, I saw somebody share it like as someone else. And I was like, I can't see this on his Instagram. But then I went and found, uh, I went and found his, uh, uh, what did I see? Um, well, I didn't went. I looked for it and I didn't, I thought it was bullshit. And I was like, oh, this doesn't look right. And then I went and looked, or I saw it come up. I was like, oh shit, it was it was actually him this year, this mm-hmm. one. And I was like, that's yeah. kind of shitty, man. Like, what are you up to? And you know, he's a guy we've had on the show, and he would he would say that, and I would probably agree with him at the time. But then I got thinking about this more and see this, and I'm like, I don't know if this is really legit, guys. Like, what are you? What are you? What are you trying to prove here? Like, here here it is. Oh. I just see it it's coming up again on, on here. Cody Nance. You can say that again. The champ, JB Mooney speaking the truth. There ain't no telling how many practice I've been on. Once got in 24 in one day without even taking a break. Break. This is Cody Nance saying this. So this is, <laughs> this is JB Mooney uh, putting this post out. And yeah, it is going, going crazy. Here you go. For all those who call themselves bull riders, what happened? What happened to practice? What happened to, what happened to English? Went to Toro local last night, thousand dollars added cash one dollar fees and one guy showed up the w- way things are lining up bull riding is going downhill stock contractors can, can't get bulls buck because no one wants to practice more and if you can't and if you call someone the first question is how much you're going to pay us to get on if you're flat broke two options get a job or ride better and the only way to ride better is to practice you can go to the gym every day and be in the best shape and still not ride a stick horse of water if you don't practice and when i say practice i mean get on bulls every now every now uh Everyone now wants to say they're a bull rider until it's time to nod your head. Bull riding is a short career and you got to take advantage of it anytime you can. And all, uh, all, and for all the guys that sit at home because they're, they're sore, not hundred percent healthy. That ship sailed. When you started riding again, you have two options. One grow some balls two eat a spin, spoonful of concrete and harden the fuck up. If you want to be a world champion, you have to be willing to get on more practice more and be tougher than anyone else. My lesson for the day is over. JB Mooney, mic drop. Okay. Damn. 
Okay. A lot to so, unpack there. A lot to say. So, J- so I'm going to go back. I'm going to re- reference this thing once again. But uh, what I'm thinking, my main point, uh, counterpoint here to JB's rant is that the investment, and we've talked about this before, ways so you know I've been over this, but the investment on the bull side of things is far out um, weighed the investment uh-huh. on the rider side in the last, you know, probably 20 years, honestly. Um, and I think, you know, JB's saying he's saying something, but it's kind of almost, I don't want to say it's too late, but it's kind of almost, I don't know if I was, I don't want to say it's really irrelevant, but it's kind of like, it's a little bit out of, out of, what would you say, waste? Like out of, I'm sure what, out of, like uh-huh. out of context a little bit. Cause it's like, I don't think it's yeah. as being like, he's trying to say like, harden the fuck up. Like, no, it's like bull riding. Number one, bull riding is fucking dangerous. You can die in practice or you can get hurt really fucking bad in practice riding a bull. Um, but number two, you know, there were lots of guys that would offer practice on good bulls, but a lot of the practice now is on fucking fraternity calves that I'm not going to learn anything on. There's or, not many guys having practice bulls around, yeah. Yeah, because the practice bulls, the ones that I think are needed for our sport to go the right way, they, you can't even feed them because they're not worth anything because nobody's going to buy them because they're not that good. So they're hardly worth keeping around. But if you don't have those ones, the riders aren't going to learn how to ride because they're going to be getting on the fucking hard ones. And yeah, you can get on a hard one and call it practice. But like if someone never, ever gets any confidence and gets a couple of rides down on an easier bull, for me, it was the high school rodeos. Honestly, that's where I fucking figured it out or the steer riding where I could ride the lopers around and kind of get a feel for what the hell it's like. If, if, if a guy doesn't have the feeling for what it's like at the low level, they're never going to be able to catch up to a good fastball. So, mm-hmm. um, so JB, I get what you're saying that people don't want to practice, but I think that there needs to be, well, I think it goes down to, it goes down a lot of levels. we got to have some youth engagement in a, in a bigger way, in a more organized way, probably. I don't know if getting on bareback horses with a hockey helmet and getting drug around and smashed up and down, in the mini Bronx is the way to go, but like hockey mm-hmm. and baseball and soccer and football all have a lower division where somebody can go and not get killed off and they can learn the fundamentals. And there's an organized kind of way to do it where rodeo and you know, the junior high rodeos, maybe um, sheep riding is I think kind of irrelevant too. Uh, but there's no, amateur lower end sport that helps build it. And like we talked about last week, Wes, you're in Cochrane and there's nobody there. They had like what one bull rider all weekend in Cochrane. Yeah. And that's the place those guys need to go. Like I, I feel, yeah. I feel it's less, there's more like guys not practicing the right way and skipping yeah. steps like to, to get like they're rushing to get to the PVR, they're rushing to get to pro rodeo and they're killing themselves off. Whereas if you follow the steps and, and you work your way up the ladder, you're more likely to be successful because you're, getting on lower level bulls, obviously at the, at the amateur rodeos and you're kind of able to build that confidence up. But if you don't practice the right way, your practice that you're doing isn't going to give you any value either. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. getting your head drove in the dirt. Every time you get on a bull is not going to do anything for you. You know, one of the guys that's done this the best in the recent years, I would say had the resources to do it as in the bulls and could afford to keep them around maybe, or maybe, maybe not a matter of can afford to, but had the right ones and chose to keep them was Tanner, you know, you know, um, family has bulls and could handpick mm-hmm. the ones that he wants to keep and wants to, uh, wants to get on. And I, you know, that guy, he took it slow and, you know, we were always wondering like, where's he at? Where's he at? You know, when's he coming to ride bulls? And then all of a sudden he jumps on and he's good, but he's had the proper practice. 
and he has mm-hmm. the proper animals to practice on. And yeah, that guy is practicing, but he's getting on very, very select bulls that he knows are going to be safe and, you know, pretty tame, I would guess. Um, yeah. And he knows livestock enough to know what's right and wrong. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's as much practice. I think it's much like, like, here's one example. So, so for me, I remember getting on practice one time and it was like, we went to Elnora for a thing for Lauren high and they were all fraternity calves. I'm like, that's not fucking, I'm sorry, but that's not fucking practice. It's not practice. Like you can no. paint it as practice. That's just getting like, rider. That's getting rider trips in your yeah. bulls is what it's doing. It's like not I, practice like, for the guys. And I'm not crap. Like I'm not, this is not, an, I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm just saying like that, that for me at the time, like I was like 17 and they were looking to buck these bulls and that, you know, I think somebody won a bunch of money on the fraternity, like fraternity side, but like, like that wasn't really practice for me like that. Those bulls are way too good for what I needed. Like I needed to go to, I don't, I don't even know where I got on. I'm not, I know I did, but I'm not remembering right now, like where I went and got on the best practice, but like, you know, honestly, where it would probably, probably was, was Gary LaFuse place. Like that guy knows the difference. And oh he man, that guy doesn't try to kill anybody. He had good practice bulls and I made a couple of really good rides there. Like I rode the drop barrel a couple of times and then step out and make a couple like 80 some point rides, like nothing. Cause it was, they were the right bulls. So I'm kind of rambling on here, but I think it's proper practice. So JB, I hear what you're saying, yeah. but I think it's proper practice and I think it's not practicing on the futurity calves. So I agree with you in partially, but I think it needs to be the proper practice. And I, I don't know if there needs to be like a, some investment on the side of somebody like, I don't know if Wacy, if we need to sponsor some practice bulls to live and eat somewhere where <laughs> some guys can, at 46 20. Yeah. Where the guys can have some tame ones to get on here and there. But like, um, yeah, I think it's like you said, Wacy, it's proper practice and it's those proper steps. But, but we even offered a guy, he said he wanted to learn bull riding where to go to schools. And I was like, Hey, Wasting, I'll teach you, but then he just never, he just ghosted us. So, yeah, I don't know. And I, th- and I think too, you can't devalue the stuff outside the arena, like the drop rail. Oh, yeah. And, I agree. and stuff like that too. Especially at this day and age, you have to be an athlete and be at that, that level. Like, especially if you want to ride those good bulls. Like, look at, look at a guy like Jose. Like, he's a, he, that guy's an athlete and he puts the work yes. in outside the arena. So, 100%. I think there's a lot of elements that go into it, but you need to practice the right way because you don't, you don't even like look at, look at Sidney Crosby or your Connor McDavid's or your, your whatever your LeBron James, your top athletes out there. They're not just practicing in a game all the time. Like they're doing game situations. They're practicing in, in like controlled environments and doing it the right way rather than just going out and playing games and shooting from the hip all the time. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, okay. Where are we at here? Um, we better wrap this part up, but what I, I want, it's something that I, it's something that I wish we would have talked to uh, Sage about when I never thought about it at the time, but yeah, I guess now that's a topic of conversation, but yeah, we'll, we'll be able to bring it up with other guys over time, but yeah, it's just yeah. one of those things where, yeah, go practice the right way. If you want to be successful for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in everybody. My name is Ted Stoven. He's Wacey Anderson. We'll be back with our interview with uh, Mr. Sage Kimsey right after this. Here comes the number one bull rider in the world, six-time world champion, Sage Kimsey. Greeley Hatwork Centerfold from Surrey Championship Rodeo. Come on, everybody, hands and feet, hands and feet. He's trying to beat Donnie Gay with eight world championships. Sage has six. He might can win his seventh right now. Welcome back to the program. We're back with our uh, our guest this week. He's seven-time champion of the world in the bull riding. He's got a couple more to go. We're figuring, but uh, Sage Kimsey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this morning. It's coffee time all across uh, North America for the <laughs> for the crew. Thanks for being on the show. 
it's definitely coffee time. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Doesn't need more of an much more of an introduction than that. Hey, Teddy. I don't <laughs> think so. What seven <laughs> times? What else do you need to know right now? There, about it. Okay, so there's a there's a sponsor you have that's uh, is it Seven X Ranches or what was it again? Yeah, it it, it was Seven X Ranches. Um, I, I'm not with them anymore, but yeah, I, I did think that was uh, pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so now we should we should find the Eight X Ranch. To yeah, get you for next season. Eight nine ten. Donnie to pick me up. So wait, is that what is that what he called his ranch? Is eight time? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, even really? like whenever he he had all his bucking bowls and everything, like they had an eight X on their hip. Oh, oh no man. way. Yeah. Um. Okay, Sage. Before we get going too far here, I gotta ask, how are you doing? How's the family? How's how's the the new baby? Like, tell us how things are going. It's been a kind of a crazy year, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a really crazy year, but everything's really good, man. It's I mean, obviously, I'm ready to get out of the sling and, um, you know, all of that. But Mr. Steele's just growing like a little weed. And I've been that's been the silver lining for this year is getting to be home, getting to be home with the family and getting to see him kind of grow up. Uh, you know, he's he's just about ready to get to crawling. And uh, I haven't had to miss anything all year long. So that's been kind of, like I said, kind of a silver lining and everything. Well, and that's tell- a pretty big deal for rodeo guys like to catch those moments a lot of guys who have new kids and stuff don't get to see that with especially with you you're on the road quite a bit you 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 do miss a few of those early on moments so that's pretty cool to be able to catch those as as he's growing like you say yeah i mean i'd I'd have been missing i mean all of it you know what i mean it's Mm. i'm sure alexis and him would have came out a little bit but um yeah as far as just really getting to spend time and you know not really have anything to go do it's not like we ever get to really just hang out at the house like I've been doing. Um, you know, the, the circumstances aren't the best, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been really nice just getting to, to spend time with my family. Tell us, uh, tell us what all happened exactly. If, if you want to get into it, cause it's, it's quite the, like Alexis was in, in the hospital for quite a while. Like it was, it was bad, bad go there for a while. Yeah, it was. So let's see, I'll try to get this down into like a semi condensed story. Um, so Alexis was super swollen. Um, well back up. So 4th of July run last year. Um, a lot of people have probably heard the story, but anyway, Alexis texts me a few times and we're driving through the middle of Wyoming, no service, blah, blah, blah. Hey, call me when you get a chance. Call me when you get a chance. She sends me like three texts. Um, and which like, she never does, you know what I mean? And I was like, Oh my Lord, what is wrong at the house? It's 4th of July, blah, blah. Um, and anyway, she, that was when she found out that we were pregnant, expecting a child. Okay, cool. You know, (laughs) um, fast forward, you know, she does, she, she gets really, really swollen right about the, the seven month mark. And I mean, it was one of those deals, I, I guess it's right around the six month mark. And, um, one of those deals, like, dude, I was so clueless about pregnancy and kids and like all the things right just never have never have known anything about it and um yeah long story short she gets bad swollen and um anyway has some complications yeah like two months early so we we rushed her in the hospital and they tell her she has preeclampsia which is basically where um the placenta and the mom 
just like go to war. And I guess the placenta never loses. So at that point they were juggling mom and baby's health basically. Um, and trying to figure out like, you know, the best time to, to take her back to inducer to where like, you know, to have the child, um, uh, all of which like was this would have been we probably would have went in January like 20th so and and I mean not that it was a big deal at all but all of which like rodeo is like kicking off I was literally going to leave the next day like luckily I was home when it all happened and um yeah I was long story short like we stay in the hospital for four or five days and finally um like over the course of like that, those few days leading up to before the birth of our son, um, she put on like 40 pounds of just like water retention and swelling. And like literally it was just like, she was so just swollen and I felt so bad for her. But um, yeah, it was, it was wild, man. Like it, she literally, she was just blowing up and finally they, they came in and they were like, Hey, um, you know, for, for your health and the health of the baby, like, we think this needs to happen like in the morning and like, okay, she had a great team of doctors and, and everything. Um, great nurses. Um, so like that put our minds at ease, but it was definitely, it was a lot for, um, you know, especially for the first child, like going from absolutely <laughs> zero knowledge of it to that. It, but honestly, it was probably better that it was our first child because, like, we had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. So both of us were just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, they're confident everything's going to be okay. So I'm sure it will be. Cool. Like, let's just go. <laughs> yeah, I guess if it had been, like, the second time around, it could have been a little sketchy for some folks. Had it yeah. been, like, a bit, bit of the complications-wise. Yeah. Like, it, it was super scary. And that was the one thing, like, I don't really know. And she said it afterwards that like, I don't really know that she knew like how scary everything was because like everybody kind of kept her off her phone and, you know, it was just all a bunch of positive affirmations the whole time. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that she kind of knew like how, how scary everything was, <laughs> which was probably for the best. And everybody's happy and healthy now. We're doing well. Yeah. Everybody's good now. And, uh, uh, even like little Mr. Steele, he didn't, uh, he came at like, yeah, I guess it was right at seven weeks early and like never had to have any, um, any assistance, like with breathing, um, eating nothing. Like he, he just came out and was just a little rock star. Um, Alexis bounced back. Um, so yeah, everybody's good, happy, healthy and at home. And, uh, you had quite the winter too, at, like after this, right? Like you, you won a hundred and was 115,000 just be- between then and like the first part of June, like pretty impressive first part of the year. You're still fifth in the world and you haven't ridden in like at least two or three months now. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was like the most prosperous time of rodeo probably in my career for sure. Um, I mentioned that the rodeo season was started kind of like as this was all happening. Um, so the, the night we went into the hospital, Fort Worth Extreme Bulls was the next day, um, which, like, obviously, you know, it's a, a big Division One Extreme Bulls for us. Um, but, like, I, I was definitely not going to miss the birth of our, our son. So it, it was just kind of a non-negotiable that I was going to stay to stay in the hospital down there. But, yeah, I missed that, missed Denver. Um, 
had our son on the 25th and I was up at Fort Worth on like the shoot. I don't even know. Like right at the, around the 30th, I guess we were home for several days, I guess maybe even later than that. But anyway, we were home for about a week. Um, went up to Fort Worth, kind of got everything, you know, settled down at the house, went up to Fort Worth, um, one Fort Worth, and yeah, it was kind of all downhill from there. It was, it was a pretty good, good couple months. Well, and then when, when San Antonio, and then I think, was it 160 seconds of work? So that's like, uh, is that what you said? 160 seconds to win like a hundred some thousand? It's pretty, yeah, pretty it, it wasn't much. That's for sure. It was, it was, it pretty was all crazy. in Texas. I, I mean, I think I've only been to like, I think my rodeo counts only at 11 this year. So, Holy. yeah. But you're not going to be able to go to Vegas, or will you still be able to make it there? What's the story? It's out. You're out for the year, like, our, and it's August. You still in a sling. Like, can you come back for the finals, or is it your? No, I'll be. I'll be out. Um, th- they said it takes anywhere from six to eight months to heal the shoulder up. Um, and it, it's this is kind of like the last fix for the shoulder. So it's like they don't really have another way to fix it. So if this doesn't work it's kind of like the end of the career. Um, so it's one of those things that like, if I'm not going to rush it, if it, they tell me it takes anywhere from six to eight months. And if it leans more towards the eight months part, it just, it is what it is, you know? Well, with the way the season is right now too, you may have won a hundred grand early on, but like Stetson's got like 260,000 when you'd have to have a heck of a finals and he'd have to have a bad finals for even to have a chance not really yeah, worth not it sure. worth even trying is it well and even i mean you know at the end of the day a gold buckle would be nice but being able to pick up my son or you know go play catch with him out in the yard is, is way more important than a gold buckle so yeah you know, and, you, and you still have more career past this too right like you're only 28 you still have a few few really good years left in your however many you want to have so i mean there's no sense in pushing it if you don't have to yeah no for sure have you found since you, you've had your son that you're kind of uh, uh, there's some new motivation in your life to, on the the competition side of things? You're comp- competing for more than just yourself and kind of having steel around kind of gets you the fire under you a little more. Oh, for sure. Like life means means a lot more and means way different things now than what it ever has. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, it's I've always tried to like. <laughs> To, to do the right thing and, you know, to, to treat people the way I'd want to be treated and this and that. And, and you never really realize like kind of why, I guess the, the why never was there for me. It was just, that was just how I was going to do it. Um, but yeah, man, the, the first time I looked at him, I was like, Oh, I was like, I, I understand the why now. And then just go win 115,000 in 11 rodeos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was. It made it made it real easy to like really get focused too because, I mean, obviously I wasn't sleeping. I, I didn't do any of that. But it was it was one of those things that like if I was gonna leave him, I was gonna win. Period. You know what I mean? And do you so do you think that you'll that you'll stop at one kid or is it, is there more on the way or what's the plan there? I mean, we'll probably have some more for sure. I don't I don't know exactly <laughs> when and and what the time frame will be on that, but uh. I know Alexis wants a little girl, and um, so hopefully we can uh, 
yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have more kids. I wanted to, uh, wanted to ask, there's, there's a lot of ways we can go with this stage up, but I guess like being at seven now and, you know, getting to 10 was 10 world titles, 10 gold buckles was, was something that's been on your radar for a long time. There's been a little bit of, um, you know, the, this, the most you've been heard has been the last couple of years. Right. And you've this been having to sit out this year and, and I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but like getting to 10 didn't look like it was that crazy as a little while ago, but now you're getting into, you know, being 28, you got probably what, like, I don't know how many, how many more years, like you got a long time you, you can ride for, but this is, you know, to get 10, it's a, it's going to be a pretty incredible feat to be able to do that. So you got, I'm just curious where, what it looks like next little while. What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a lofty goal and that's even with the extreme success I had, you know, from 2014 to now, like it, it, bottom line each one gets harder that's just mm-hmm. kind of the, the nature of the thing um my body for a lot of years i i neglected um just to go get those gold buckles um and and not so much neglected like i take really good care of my body but um you know a lot of a lot of people don't really know like how kind of banged and bruised my body was like i said like my shoulder's been torn up since high school i haven't had a UCL ligament in my elbow for four or five years. Um, don't have a PCL in my right knee. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot of like pretty significant injuries that have, have just kind of been put on the back burner um, strictly just for, for the goal of, of winning the gold buckles. So did you get all that stuff fixed now or are those still pieces still missing? Um, yeah. so I'm not, I'm not going to touch the PCL. Um, uh, unlucky on it's my right elbow that ha- needs the UCL replaced. Um, and, uh, I, I definitely need one arm to, you know, be able to drink my coffee and do podcasts. So <laughs> it's, I, I don't really know the, the recovery time on it's between four to six months, um, on the shoulder at six to eight. So it'll match up pretty well. Like whenever I get out of my sling and start going with it. So, I don't know if I'm going to have the elbow operated on yet or not. Um, that's still kind of to be seen. Does it affect, does it affect your riding? Um, yes and no. Like it, it definitely has changed the way that I ride bulls. Um, and like, I have to, I have to wear a brace whenever, whenever I'm riding. Um, but I don't know. It's I think that's kind of the one big thing that like your average rodeo fan in person wouldn't know. Um, is like each time, like we all go through pretty significant injuries, but, uh, it's like every time you go through something, you know, your style has to change a little bit. And, you know, like I've been, I've been protecting a shoulder, elbow and a knee for a while now. And it's to do that. It definitely, it makes it more difficult. I don't know that it changes so much, but it definitely makes it harder. What, what is the UCL? I've never even heard of that part of a person's body on, in the elbow. That's a, yeah. that's a new one to me. It's like the Tommy John surgery. Oh wow! Like okay. the, the inside ligament of your elbow, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's Damn. like the ACL for your elbow, basically. Gee. So when you with your shoulder, uh, was it dislocating a bunch too? I don't. I don't know the whole story there. Where? Where was it blown apart, or was it like it's going to be rotator yeah. cuff labrum? Like some of that stuff's all jammed up. But over years, like it'd be easy to. It is, and as it happens, it's easier to dislocate it as you do it more too, right? Yeah. 
No, for sure. So I actually, I tore it up in high school. I had a bull fall on me, um, and, and dislocate it forward. Um, and anyway, like I had to go to the hospital and get it put back in. Well, I never had a whole lot of problems with it leading up to this point. Like it, it always hurt. Um, and it, it never was like a super stable joint, like anything, like if I was like doing a bench press or even like a pull up or anything, like it would, it would feel like an unstable joint. And, um, I definitely like lost a lot of strength on the front sh side of my shoulder, but it was one of those things that like I could ride with. It didn't ever re-dislocate, like nothing like that. You see, you've seen a lot of guys that, that like really battle with shoulders, you know, every time they get on it, it pops out. Um, and like that never was me, but I always swore to myself that like, if it ever did dislocate again, that, um, I would go back in and, and have it fixed. Like I wasn't going to just be the guy that like fought with a bad shoulder for years and years. So getting into, it was at the American semifinals this year. Um, got on a really nice bowl of HD pages. Anyway, he came out and like, he slammed me hard. Um, and it was one of those things immediately, like I've separated my, my AC joint in both of my shoulders quite a bit. Um, and I thought that's what happened. And like, it's very painful whenever, whenever that happens, but it's something that you can't really like damage anymore or do anything to. So I get slammed there. Um, have them look at it at sports med the next day. And then, so I was going to Houston the next week. Houston's got, um, you know, a really good sports medicine staff down there, bunch of imaging and stuff. So anyway, I told, told my wife, Alexis, I was like, well, you know, if, if this thing doesn't get any better, I'll, I'll just get x-rays down at Houston and kind of see what, uh, what's wrong with it. She's like, okay, fair enough. You know, well, if anything, it, it got worse the whole time, like the week off of the American leading to Houston. Um, and so go down to Houston, get the x-rays done. And, uh, the x-rays show that I've got a broken collarbone, but it's like, it, it was like the jankiest, nastiest break out here by the end. Ugh. Um, and, uh, they were like, man, this isn't a fresh break. Like you can see it all healing and stuff. They're like this, this break happened a long time ago. It just didn't heal correctly. I was like, Oh, great. Um, long story short, went to several specialists. I one in Austin, um, went to several specialists and they're like, yeah, man, like your shoulders definitely, you know, it's an unstable joint. Um, sports med had me rigged up in a Soli to where it was like a brace that was helping my shoulders stay in socket. Um, fast forward to Weatherford, I get on, get on this kind of wild low bull. that was just a little out of line. Um, and really kind of had to lean back one jump. And as soon as I like <laughs> kind of windmilled my free arm one time, um, it came out when I was on him. Um, hit the ground, got up, and like it rolled back in. By the time I'd even got over to the sports med trailer, Damn. but that was just when I knew I was, I was like, "Well, I came out, so you know, season's <laughs> over." How 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 hard was it to make that call and and to realize you had to take the season off? I mean, that's got to take a toll on a guy's mental health, especially after the spring you've had. Yeah, I, honestly, it wasn't that hard strictly because the birth of my son. Um, without him, it would have been pretty difficult for sure. <laughs> um, but that was just, it was kind of one of those things. It was like, man, you know, it's all in God's plan and just take a step back and, and realize that, you know, 
it, as much as we we all love rodeo and you know how important i mean it's been the biggest part of my life for you know my whole life pretty much um but like at the end of the day spending time with him is more important to me than anything at this point um especially in these you know really early stages of his life um so it, it wasn't near as bad as what it probably would have would have been so have you found other ways to kind of keep yourself busy here now like tinkering away at kind of some some other stuff you've been meaning to get to or trying some new things while you've been healing up um yeah starting starting to now um you know the pbr it was really great that the pbr called me um to do a little bit of the commentating um and and i don't know you know how many events i'll do or whatever but um you know that was kind of a, a fun new twist because i've never never done anything like that um whenever they called i was like well you know i was like i i haven't done it before i got <laughs> i think i probably would be good at it like i i know how to talk bull riding so and um but no that's been really fun and uh yeah i've got a, got a few other things in the works that um you know like you said just really haven't had the time to do before and um so yeah it's trying to keep myself busy for sure what let's I, that's one of the things i had written down was was to ask about the pbr and the teams and and being part of the broadcast you know uh I, we we can't watch that stuff up here at this point we don't have uh we don't have the they don't they we don't have we can't watch it so we, it's, out, we, it's outlawed up here yeah it's outlawed we're banned up here so <laughs> but but uh yeah let's talk about that talk about teams working with flint and kate and and matt west as well the crew there like talk about those events a little bit and i know like so i know we can we can get further into the prca pbr kind of thing but you've always been friends with those guys not like that there's like this enemy of the pbr because you're focused on the prca side of things like those guys want to include you it yeah no it's the relationship between the prca and the pbr has gotten a lot better in the past you know probably a decade um and yeah like i, I feel like used to there was some animosity between associations but anymore it's just not that way man and it's i thought it was really like big of the pbr because like you said like it's one of those things that I mean, bottom line, like I've just had a different career choice than, you know, the the PBR thing. But it's it's not one of those things like you'll never hear me, you know, go out and bash the PBR. Like what they've done for the Western sports world is <laughs> nothing short of incredible. Um, it just wasn't where like, you know, my dreams and goals really aligned. And, and they understand that. But to get the call to go over there and do the commentary, I thought it was it was really, really cool of them. Um and uh yeah it's been it's been fun it's been different man like i like i said i have no experience doing it whatsoever but um it's been fun and, and as you mentioned the team it, they're an amazing group of people like they they have really made it easy on me how would you compare your pre-broadcast nerves to getting on a bull <laughs> <laughs> the pre-broadcasts were way worse because getting on a bull it I'm the only one that it affects, right? <laughs> and uh, it, it just, you know, if I if I perform poorly, then like I said, I'm the only one that it prefer that it affects. But um, it they had me chilled out pretty good. Like Nashville was the first event, and um, like I said, it, Matt and Kate, all all of them are just they're true professional. Also, well, 
What, what was the uh, best piece of advice before your first broadcast that one of those folks gave you? Um, or even, I guess even your was, wife probably had some good advice for you too, heading into that stuff. Yeah, she did for sure. Um, I think honestly, the biggest thing that just calmed me down, Matt, Matt West was just like, say, just be you. He said, that's all, all you have to do. Just be you. He's like, it'll show through and you'll do great. Just calm down and just be you. And I was like, hmm. Easy for you to say, but all right, <laughs> all right. What uh, What do you like most about that side of things, though? Is it and and I mean, like they kind of changed a lot of things with the way the broadcast works, and like you guys are partially in the arena too, a little bit with the TV thing, which never really happened before. So, like they're like uh, a lot of that is changing. It's it's a bit of a different setup now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a wild setup for sure, and I mean, especially I guess it's not that that crazy for me because I didn't really like understand or, or know how it <laughs> usually is. So, so it's just the like baby. the normal part for me. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's cool, man. And like the, the team's concept is really cool. I mean, especially this being there, the inaugural year, Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that, you know, they're, they're working through, but it's been, it's been really cool. And I think it's it's hard to say exactly like what it's gonna gonna turn into, especially like I said in, in its inaugural year. But it really could be the future of bull riding. Like it, it has it has that upside that that chance. So yeah, it, it's exciting. Why why do you think it might work? Strictly because it's well, first off, because like sports teams just work in general. Um, but that's the main thing for me is there's going to be, there's never really been like a, a system for a young bull rider to go from high school standout to top tier professional. And with this team series, they're kind of giving that because you have, you know, retired coaches that have been there, done it, seen it um can help you with not only like I was talking to um Jerome Davis and his wife at Nashville and she was just like the thing is Sage like you know th this isn't just us you know well drop your elbow and, and ride this bull like you know these coaches are put in a position to really help these kids lives and that's the part that I really love about it like yeah it's awesome to watch you know Jose and Dalen make 90 point bull rides and and do all that but like the effect that it could have on a lot of these young kids lives moving forward i think that's the biggest like upside and, and the most exciting part of it for me to me I it seems like it's the pbrs or like bull rodeo or bull riding's first big investment into the rider side of things there's been a big investment on the on the bull, bull side of things but it's not really good to see some emphasis put on developing our riders and kind of getting everybody up to par because there's been a big gap over the last few years when it comes to bulls versus riders. Well, at the end of the day, whether that be um, strictly just benefits, whether that be, you know, X amount of dollars to, to show up at each event or like the, the fact that there's no guarantees in professional bull riding um, just across the board is, is crazy. And that's this, the team's league is the first one to kind of, 
step up and do that in, in some way. And I know like a lot of the teams have their, their own different ways of going about it, but it's, that's exciting. And that's it, as a young bull rider for, for the first time ever, you can step out as, you know, and, and sign on with one of these teams and have at least a little bit of a guarantee of, you know, well, Hey, like, you know, if I do, if I break my leg tomorrow, like everything is going to be okay for this fall, you know what I mean? And, and nobody, no bull riders think about it that way, but at the end of the day, like it's a dangerous sport, you know what I mean? And, and it's cool to have organizations that could step up and stand behind you, you know, in, in downtime. I mean, we have, a little bit of that with, you know, the Justin Cowboy Crisis Fund does an amazing job for for the PRCA people, um, but it, it's still it's it's different, you know, with with relief funds and the Western Sports Foundation does as well. It's different like that though than than being on a team, you know. Well, it's even the the, the teammate side of things. Like we have two young Canadian guys who are competing. Uh, with the Austin Gamblers and they get to ride alongside Jose. Like that's a huge deal for some, like you said, to those young guys who are just coming up the ranks, like being able to be around those top dogs and guys who are at the, the highest level, like that can really change a, the person's uh, career direction. Yeah. I mean, you take, you take Griffin and like Griffin's life will forever be changed in this four months of him being on the Austin Gamblers, whether he, gets cut by him whether he's the league mvp like whatever like this four months is going to change his life for the better period and that that's cool but but it's going to change his life because he gets to be around yeah. a guy like jose and and the you know have have a coach and have have a little bit of backing and i heard overheard blake smith telling the guys that they're even the team is paying their turnout fines if they got to miss a touring pro or a challenger event to go to these uh teams events but I think, you know, further to that point, Sage, the having the team changes the marketing act aspect of the sport drastically because not only are the riders and the bulls being marketed now, but you have a team to market and something, you know, it's easier for the average fan to follow. I think that's a big part of what what they're working on with this as well. Oh, I, I think it's it's huge. I mean, it, this is the first time first time that there's going to be home teams, you know what I mean? And that's that's been kind of cool to kind of watch play out and um, especially going to the live events. It's been really cool seeing the support. Cause like, you know, you go to Nashville and um, like the Nashville stampede are, are the team that it, they're the home team, you know what I mean? And that's, that's really cool because it is, it's one of those things, even if you have, you know, I don't think it affects like your hardcore fans very much. But um, it definitely affects your your casual fans that might come out to the bull riding on you know a Saturday night, and you know you get to watch them, you know the Nashville Stampede. Like it ended up being, it, it was just set up perfectly. But like Silvano Alves had the walk off win for for Nashville. I mean, Lemmy did it twice this week for Austin, um, in front of his home crowd, and it was just. It's cool to see the home crowd because, like I said, I think it, it really affects it, – it can make lifelong fans out of, you know, your casual bull riding fans, and I, I think that's really cool. It's, What's it's, it's cool to see the Global Cup model, like, in a sense, like, work really well. Like, you know, like we, you've competed at the Global Cups, you've been around it, and you see how crazy those things get. Like, 
now having it at kind of a different level with having individual teams, like you say, somebody from Nashville never been to a bull riding can roll up to the bull riding and like, Oh, there's a net, there's a Nashville team. Like I'm, I'm a fan for life now. Yeah, for sure. What about, uh, what about the, somebody was booing somebody the other day. I didn't, I didn't hear the full story, <laughs> but what was the, who was getting booed by one of the, one of the home crowds? I don't know, honestly. Oh, it okay. must've been. Yeah. I have my headset on. I didn't hear that, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, okay. So the, on the, on the last show, I, uh, I put something out there cause you know, being a hockey guy and, and like coaches get fired here and there and there's like shakeups in the league and everything. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to throw it out there. I bet JW Hart's the first coach to get fired and for the Kansas City Outlaws for in the in the league. <laughs> I don't want to throw that out there. And then then they kind of came back and they're kind of like middle of the road. But, you know, I, I was just throwing some stuff out there just to mess around a little bit. But like there's some stuff like that, that we're going to get to know, hear about. And then the other part of it is some of the contracts. Like I'd be curious if we start hearing about some of the contracts. Like I know the uh, I don't know when it happened, but Wacy, the NHL eventually um, had some uh, publishing on the on the player contracts and that allowed yeah, back in like the 80s they're like yeah. late 70s after like bobby or got screwed over that was part of the the change what that took them from here to here as far as the athlete pay so i'd be curious on some of that but i want to hear your take on on some of that as well i guess you like i'm not trying to be negative i, I just want to throw some controversy out there a little bit on our the side. transactional side of it which is yeah kind of yeah. Fun yeah no it is it's um <laughs> i mean i'm i'm I got, I'm always for the riders to be paid as much as possible. Right. It's, um, and, and it will be, it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, you hear that, I guess, Jose signed multi-year deal with his team. Kaiki signed a multi-year deal with his team, but you haven't heard much else, um, other than that. So I don't really know kind of how all that back end is going, but definitely I think posting it all would be, like you said, it just it, it creates a level of a uh, accountability, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that would be that'd be really cool because it, it's cool too. And I, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say. Like you know, teams working with salary caps, like most most sports and this and that. But I mean, how cool would that be? You know what I mean? Like, say say each team sets aside you know, say $5 million for their riders that year. And, um, you know, or, or they, they have to spend, you know, $3 million every year in, in contracts, but they can't go over five or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? It'd be, it'd be really cool to kind of see that, that hit off that way. Um, Cause then it, the biggest thing for me and like the biggest reason I would love to see that is whenever, you know, your, your 12 year old little, little kid tells his mom that he wants to be wants to be a bull rider and wants to be a cowboy you know she looks at those guaranteed contracts and you know jose's signing a guaranteed million dollar deal or whatever it is you know like i have no idea but jose is signing that it's like she can look at her son and be like hey you know like if you want to do that let's go let's go do it let's dive in head first you know what i mean and 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 do it because it's a viable career choice you know um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be super cool to kind of get, get the numbers. Um, I, I will say, I don't know. It, I think it'll be a long time before it, <laughs> it comes to that point. Um, because like, it's no different than the UFC. Right. And that they, they kind of, 
they definitely keep everything pretty quiet. I'll just put it that way. Okay. So a couple more things I want to ask about. Why do you think that the team's series might not work? Or do you think it's like, I don't think it's a guarantee. Is there anything that's going the other way that you make it, that makes you think it might not work or, you know, I, I want to hear your take on that or what they could do to improve possibly. Like I know they're kind of your employer partially right now, so I don't <laughs> want you to, I don't want you to like give them too much trouble, but I, I, I wanted to ask. Some constructive feedback. Yeah. Um, I would say probably like the number, the number one thing that, that would worry me like as an outsider looking in, because man, I really like, I don't know a lot of the stuff that's going on. I know, I know more than, you know, your average person, but like, I don't, I'm not real privy to a bunch of the information. Um, I would say the thing that like, I would say is the biggest thing for like the hurt, biggest hurdle for them um, would be to keep your, to keep everybody happy. Um, Cause it's just, that that's a tough position and you've got a lot of people to please. Um, but I would say that'd probably be the biggest thing is like, obviously your team owners are going to have to be happy because that's where a lot of the money is being generated from. Um, uh, obviously n rule number one, like keep your bull riders happy because mm -hmm. there's not very many top tier bull riders. Um, like you, you really look at it, you, you look down the list and there's, you know, what, maybe 50 guys in the entire world that can ride rank bulls consistently. And it's just like, so your, your, your talent pool is broad, but it's, it's very, very shallow. So the, the number one thing I would like to see is them like bend over backwards for the bull riders. And uh, of course, like I've got a jaded opinion of that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of people to keep happy. Uh, you, your contractors with your bulls, um, obviously, you know, all the production side of things. Like I would say that's probably the number one thing is with change, there's going to be some upset in, in those groups. And I would say it's the PBR's job to, to make everybody happy. And I would say that's probably going to be the biggest, the biggest hurdle for them. And then as far as, uh, as far as the team series goes, a couple of things I was thinking that might detract is I think that the individual riders might have a little bit less uh, fo less focus now because they're marketing the teams further. So I think it's going to take a little bit away from those guys and their individual sponsors as far as the team side goes because they're kind of, you know, there's a bunch of different contracts now where a guy's riding for area. It used to be a Wrangler guy or a guy is going, you know, on a different team. He's a, And it's a little bit conflicting there. But then I think another major detraction here, which I don't know, I don't know if it's been talked about a lot, but, but I think the Bulls are going to be a little bit less there's going to be a little bit less focus on the bulls now as well because they can't have a team game have end in a 0-0 tie because that's about the worst thing you can probably have happen at the team mm -hmm. level right now where you have nobody rides a bull in 8 or 10 outs like that's you can't sell that so now you got to take a little bit off the you know kind of take the top end off of those bulls so that they you're going to guarantee a ride because I don't care what score it is when you're in Nashville. Like I, I'm just assuming, but I, I mean, anywhere that I go, if somebody rides a bull, that's always a higher energy level than if somebody gets bucked off. So, I mean, I think that those are just a couple takeaways I had anyways, but I wanted to, you know, you're still going to have the league MVP, which Jose and Dalen are fighting out at the top right now. Um, but like, 
a little bit of that, that's all going to change. It's, it's definitely a different feel for sure. Cause like you said, it's, I mean, it, you're talking about, you know, Jose and Dalen being, you know, the last three world championships for the PBR. And, you know, if I was to hazard a guess, they'd probably ride, you know, 30 to 40% of their short round bulls. Um, Jose might be a little higher than that and Dalen as well, just because you get to draft your bull. But anyway, long story short, like they're riding, you know, 40, 50% of, of the short round caliber bulls. It, and those are the, like by far the best guys in the world, you know what I mean? So it, it does it. The bull power is a little different. Um, I, I would love to see them bring in like these bull team competitions down here have gotten so, so popular. And I think it really runs a great parallel with the bull team and the rider team. Like it'd be a lot, lot going on and it would be kind of more of a, a quiet thing that they're doing, but like you could do a lot with the teams on the bull side of things too. Huh. Never thought of it like that. It almost be like a sub competition between like you have like yeah each team gets matched up with a bull team and then you kind of have your head to head on the bull team side of things. You could and obviously you get bonus points if a guy rides your bull or something like that. There's there's ways to do it. It would be it would add a lot of extra back end stuff, but it could be an yeah. element of it to kind of keep that emphasis on the bulls too. There's a lot. There's a lot of things you need to have keep the focus on in bull riding to kind of help help kind of expand the sport. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, a couple more things we got to get to. Um, I don't know where if we want to go over this way right now, but Sage, you were at the Canadian Finals a couple years ago, and we're sitting in the dressing room before the perf or during the perf or something, and, and I looked at your spurs, the spurs you had on, and I remember you telling me the story about the about the Kelly spurs. They they were a really unique. Uh, a unique set, and I hadn't really seen much like them before. Spurs are pretty, I don't know what you'd say, pretty normal, but those ones kind of stood out to me, and then you had a pretty crazy story about them that I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I bought them. They're a set of Roy's. Roy, um, that's right. Okay. Yeah. I, I bought them in high school, man. I I always wanted a set. Um, and to be honest, I, like, I don't know a whole lot about them. I just know that they're the strongest best bull riding spur ever made. Um, and yeah, so, so every, like whenever I learned about it, I learned about them probably junior high or maybe like freshman year of high school and like just went on the lookout. And as soon as I, uh, as soon as I found a pair that I was going to buy it, uh, you know, definitely pulled the trigger on them. But they cost you like 2,500 and you were in high school. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of money and it was, yeah. I mean, at that point, like I didn't really have, you know. 2500 to just go blow but it was uh it was one of those things like i said that i think it probably helped because my dad was a bit and spur collector for forever um so i i saw the i saw the value i guess more than than your average bull rider would just going through it but um yeah it's that that's honestly probably the best purchase i ever made because it's like getting in the shoot, like you see guys get their spurs squished all the time, just one like gator rolling in there or leaning on you or whatever. And like knock on wood, like I just don't have to worry about that because my spurs don't bend. Hmm. So are they, do you know what they're made out of? Like, are they something different? Like they look like a stainless, stainless steel. Yeah, some like- really high quality stainless. But if, like if I was guessing, you probably can't get that, that good of metal like nowadays yeah. with all of the regulation stuff would be my guess, but I don't know. 
So those are like, how old are those spurs now? And you've used them your entire career too. So you've got 10, 15 years on them. Plus you bought them from somebody who used them for a while. Like what, what are they? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So I guess they were probably like those spurs were, would have been like the creme de la creme from probably like your early eighties to your early nineties is when you see kind of like the guys that have a pair. It's not anybody our age. It's their dads. Um, <laughs> That, that rode with them um so yeah i would say like, i don't know exactly how old they are but i mean definitely probably you know 30 40 years at least damn collector's damn. item and do you know yeah, anybody they really are do you know where they go back to like who like who originally bought them or who had them before like just some guy you just bought off bought them off of like what was the deal yeah no it's actually one of my really good buddies um in high school garrett german it was his dad his name was travis murrow um and uh, yeah, I ended up getting them, getting them from him. Who, you find that you're. Who oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I got it. One more thing. Who who else rode with those Spurs? Like, is that what Donnie Gay and Jim Jim Sharp, like all these guys, all rode with or Ty or anybody? I'm not sure. It was kind of it was kind of split. Like you mentioned, Kelly right down right at the start, and it was kind of split between your Roy's and Kelly's, and then like there was a lot of guys that that didn't really care what they rode with. I guess. Um, a lot of guys rode with Bob Blackwoods. Um, so, yeah, I I don't really know. There's just not that many set of Roy's out there. Like, I've probably only seen 20 sets of the actual bull riding spurs. Like, there's a lot of horse riding spurs out there, but yeah, not not a lot of bull riding spurs. Huh. What about what? Do you know what JB uses? What does he run for spurs? Does he have a set of those too? He runs with the Sling and Shanks. And actually, the guy that, oh. the guy that does the Sling and Shanks. Um, modeled modeled his spurs after mine. Um, okay. We I we had a lot of conversations. Probably, I don't know. It's been probably five six years ago now. Um, about making spurs and you know this and that. And he reached out and he was like, you know, would love to put a put a set of spurs together for you. Um, just talk to you about everything. And I told him I was like, man, like honestly, like I'm really happy with my spurs that I'm riding with now. Um, but the, the only thing like it, those Roy's that I have are really, they're a short set of shanks on the spurs. Um, and so I've, I've always wanted to try like a little bit longer shank just to see. Um, so I had this thing shank guy, um, make me a longer set and just had a model, model them after my Roy's. And as soon as he made that set, like he started really doing well, cause it's everybody in the bull riding world they they like at least the look of the roys right yeah and uh, yeah that, that's what he provides huh so so i gotta ask a little bit about this because i i fought around with spurs for quite a while i had a pretty light set that would get bent then i had some kelly's for a while that i liked that i wore on a pair of like lace-up boots but then i got away from the lace-ups and went to some barstows i think and then the rowels changed with the pbr and then i had to go get different ones when i was in brazil that were smooth and like, there's a bit of messing around a bunch of different times, but like you want to, I wanted to have them like offset a little bit. And the, remember the Kelly's had a bit of a twist to them so that if my foot was kind of like just searching and I could still kind of get a hold, but like it was, there's a lot of specifics in there and we're kind of getting down a rabbit hole on that side of it. But I think our, a lot of our listeners would be interested in this. Like what's the setup on yours? Like, and if, is there a bit of a turn? Like, what are you trying to do? Cause you, you're like a guy rides with knees a lot and you kind of, you're trying to get up over the front. So the way we think about it on the ground is maybe often different than what it needs to be when you're riding. Like you, 
I, I just want you to kind of like dive into that a little bit. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in that. Yeah. I'm probably not like as picky as some guys are. Um, I, I don't get me wrong. Like I'm very picky, but I guess my, my style lets me ride with a pretty basic set, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's, and I, like I messed around with all of, all of the stuff in high school, um, whenever like I didn't ride so technically correct. Um, cause there is like, there's a lot of, a lot of little stuff that, that goes into it. Like you said, the, the twist of the shank, the, the degree of it. Um, like I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I, I ride with, ride it probably, I don't know exactly the angle, but they're probably a 20, a 22 degree offset. They're pretty straight. They've got a touch of drop to them. Um, but it's, it's 22 degree straight shank that probably, probably drops maybe a quarter of an inch and they're two and a quarter long, like really, really short, short shanks. They're, they're probably in between two and a quarter and two and an eighth. Honestly, they're, they're really short. Um, where the number yeah, would be three or what would it be? Or um, would it be probably, two and a half? probably two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half to two and three quarters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of guys that do ride like JB probably rides really close to a three inch shank. Yeah. And that's crazy to me, but obviously it works <laughs> for him. So, huh. well, the way I think about it, like if you, cause you know, going back, you want to have your toes turned out and everything, but like, that's kind of a little bit of a, it's not quite right. Cause a lot of times your feet are kind of more, you know, at a little bit of an angle out, but to get the best hold, you're not going straight out because you're not, you're not. You can't really get a hold very well with that. And you can't ha have your knees in them if your toes are turned out as much. So it's a little bit of a, it's, it, they're more. Well, and it depends on the type of bull that you're getting on. And I mean, it, yeah. there's so many factors to it. And that's my thing. Like that, that set of spurs that I ride with is, is the most well-rounded set of spurs in my opinion, because it's, they're really short. If I need a hold, I always have one. If I, I don't want to hold it's they're really easy to, you know, turn my toes in and, and move whichever way direction I want to. Um, the short shank with that degree works perfect for my style. Whenever, like I said, whenever I need them, I have them. And whenever I don't need them, they're not there. So it's, it, it works with my style. You know what I mean? How, how slow are things during a ride for you now? Like, like how long is an eight second ride in your mind? Is it, is it, is it real time? Are you thinking and moving as you go? Is it still totally reaction? Like what, what is, what is it like that for you as far as actually riding? Yeah, it kind of depends on the bull for sure. Um, but so the first two seconds of about every ride, like it's it's pretty quick and it's like, you know, reacting and all the things. But then it slows down considerably unless you're on a really ranked bull. Um, but yeah, like after the four second mark, like it's really slow and you can definitely like you can – well, I, I shouldn't say you, I can grasp kind of everything that's going on around me and like literally see it's when your peripherals come back in, I guess, right around the four second mark. And yeah, like if one's really bucking it, it, you still have to maintain enough focus that you can't do that. But like, it still slows down a lot to where like, you kind of know everything that's going on. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't totally know what you mean because I didn't experience it a lot. <laughs> if I, if Maybe I ever, once or twice, yeah, if I wrote a good one, it was like, I just blacked out and I was like, what happened after? I don't I don't really know. I just, I just, I was just there. 
I just hung on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how like the first probably jump it. No, not, not even then it's, yeah, it's slow for sure. Like <laughs> it's not me and you having this conversation and like just hanging out, but it's yeah, like 100%. I can tell you everything that happened. You know what I mean? Really? So, yeah. so tell me everything that happened on the bruiser ride at the NFR when you were 94 and a half. <laughs> yeah. So bruiser ride, um, bull comes in like he's great big pet, all the stuff. Right. Um, how deep do you want me to get into this? Because like, man, this ride, like I do know everything. This is a okay. bull riding podcast. We're, we are fans. So we can talk. <laughs> we want to hear No, nobody gets to hear this kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So he's in there. Um, the only thing that I really wanted to do, cause he, he has that. Sometimes he's got that weird move where he kind of blows out sideways. The only thing that I re- like really was focused on beforehand was just like getting out on him really good. Um, first jump is just, you know, it's the most important jump bottom line. Um, so anyway, he was kind of leaned on the gate just a touch. And that was the last thing I wanted him to do was kind of like, like scoot out down the gate, like with, It'd be like his left side of his body. I didn't want him to push my left leg back. Um, so I had HD pull his tail over, tail head over just like this much, right? Like I said, he's a pet. It's not like Bruiser was trying to cheat me. Um, so he pulled him over. And uh, the really thing I want to do, I knew he wouldn't throw me off going left, um, which he almost ended up doing. But um, yeah, at that point in his life, that was where he was getting everybody. Um, so anyway, he starts around the left. And uh, it was one of those things like I was going to try to ride his outside shoulder the whole time Um, because then I I felt like whenever he went back right, if I could really drive back out over the front of him, like I knew he wouldn't leave me if I could just get out over the front of him. You know what I mean? Because he he wasn't an extremely fast bull. Um, So I was like, all right, I'm just going to hang out on left. And whenever he jumps forward, he'll really like he'll tug on me and I'll be able to – to pick him back up and then, you know, finish the ride really strong. Um, whenever he turned back, had me a little bit to the outside and a little bit high, um, which like I said, it wasn't, wasn't the biggest problem, but then like he kind of straightened me up a little bit, probably like it'd be like the third jump in the spin. And as soon as he straightened me up, I was like, Oh darn. Um, <laughs> Cause it, uh, like if he would have, if he would have kept going left, it would have been really hard for me to get the whistle. And he didn't buck that hard whenever he was going left. You know what I mean? It, I guess he was just cool enough about it that he should never throw you off. Um, and so anyway, like I was kind of waiting, kind of waiting. And he, he did. He he set me up. Well, I knew the right was coming at some point. Didn't know when, but knew it was coming. So it was one of those things like I was just kind of like pausing, 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 and just kind of holding what I got instead of really moving over because I knew as soon as – like I kicked loose and got in the position that I probably needed to be the next jump would be coming and I wouldn't be able to stay on the reversal. Um, so just kind of kept, kept biding my time. Like I said, and, uh, as soon as he jumped, jumped out of it and jumped forward, it, it was crazy because I didn't think his timing would change at all. And it changed a lot. Like it, I, it, it changed a lot. He went from being super nice um, and it, it was weird because like the way he backed up, you know, like we'd all envisioned what that would feel like, but it doesn't feel 
like what you would normally think, especially at that point in his career. Like he got to the point, like he, he was pretty heavy whenever he would do that and not heavy in the sense of like jerk your arm off, but like he just kind of disappeared out of the air because he'd come straight up and then it was just straight down. Like he didn't have any movement to him at all forward or back. So it was literally just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like 1800 pounds of feathers dropping out of the air. If that makes sense. <laughs> like, wow. Cause whenever he would stall, it just, there was nothing really going on. Like he was so athletic. He hit the ground so soft, like by far the smoothest bull I've ever been on. Um, whenever he was bucking this, cause like I said, he was, he was just such an athlete. Um, so it was, it's like, you knew he wasn't going to hit the ground hard, but it was, it was just a weird feeling. I've never been on a bull that really felt that way. And yeah. for most of the time, like it, it, nothing really kind of like surprises me at this point. You know what I mean? Like I've usually kind of been there, done that. Um, but that jump was, was really odd. Um, you saw, you saw the jump of it that like it just went absolute mayhem. And that was when he picked me up. Um, cause it was, he, he took the little jump right there. And like I said, it was, it was just a jump that I had never really felt before. Um, I went from kind of being tipped into my hand just a little bit, um, with a straight arm, not much weight, like kind of a Hail Mary move. It ended up being a lot more like, heroic than the move like actually probably was um because the move was like pretty simple like i was really turned this way like i had to get um my hips and shoulders back square with him and you know getting my hips down was going to be the number one the number one problem that i had and i knew that um but the thing is you couldn't go too far either because it's and and ring him out especially lefties not not so much righties righties could usually just you know hold on till the end of the whistle but like that wasn't how i wanted to ride that bull you know like i wasn't going to just hang upside down to get the whistle on him a lot of guys have done that before and you know like it's cool yeah you rode bruiser but you know yeah like he still beat you at the end <laughs> you, of the day. you know bruiser. what i mean <laughs> yeah ah. yeah you held on the bruiser you know so um yeah anyway it comes back right and uh that it was just the whole move was going from being tilted this way to try to get everything back to square. Right. Um, and <laughs> he, he lifted me off his back and I was like, Oh snap. And honestly, it kind of felt like whenever you're like messing around, like on a bucking machine and it just, it felt very odd because like I was so far off his back. Um, but like I said, there was still no power. Like he wasn't yanking on me, nothing, nothing like that, which is just crazy. Um, and I remember looking down and uh, my right spur was like right beside the handle of my bull rope. And I was like, <laughs> oh gosh, you know what I mean? Like that's not, not a good thing. But like I was still in pretty good bull rider position. I was just three foot off his back. Like <laughs> I was still riding pretty good. I was just not where I needed to be. <laughs> Um, and then like the only thing that went through my mind was just like, I need to land in the right place for this to work. Like I had all of this daylight in between Bruiser and me. Um, 
I, I didn't really think I was going to be whipped down or anything like that. Cause like I said, he wasn't, he just not like a strong feeling bull. Um, so it was all just about, like I said, like landing in the right place and <laughs> thank God it, it worked out and I did land in the right place. Um, cause then after that, like it just, it went back to being fun cause he just, you know, blowing up around the right. And, um, yeah, it's just cool, man. So, uh, I've got the video here. There's the oh shit moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and even at the end of it, man, like he's getting in the air so much, but he's just he's so cool. Like there's not an ounce of power, there's not an ounce of any of that. Like he's just just an athlete. Well, and talk about how you felt after the ride. Like that had to be a huge statement for you. That was he was the top dog, you're the top dog in the PRCA, and there's all, all the the never ending conversation of the PBR versus PRCA, especially at the height of that. Like that was a huge ride for you to ride the top pool in the PBR at the time. Oh yeah, no, it, it was. And that was the thing, like, you know, I mean, like for me, I guess at that point I had already like convinced myself that I was like that caliber, but yeah, it like, I guess for the outside world, they still had questions. Like, I don't really know why every time I had, <laughs> yeah, every time I had like, you know, the marquee matchup, like I always rode the bull, but um, yeah, it was definitely one of those things. It was like, you know, it, it bottom line, like, where else would you want it to happen to? You know what I mean? Like, I think it was like round seven or eight mm -hmm. of the NFR. Um, I think it was round eight. Uh, right then, like I was still, still in the race for the gold buckle. Like it wasn't like I had it sewed up or anything. Um, hadn't really done that good like that week. Um, I won the night before on smoke wagon of Shad Smith won that round and then, um, had bruiser the next night. But like, this is, this was probably Bruiser and I's fourth NFR together mm -hmm. and never had dr drawn him. I've probably been in the draw with that bull more than anybody else in the entire world and never had him before. Um, so it was just kind of destiny, man. And it was one of those things that like, I've been dreaming about that bull for so long, you know, what better place to get on him than round eight national finals rodeo you know, last guy out Stetson was just 93 and three quarter points, 93 yeah. and a half, yeah. like literally right before me <laughs> on Diddy Wa Diddy. Um, so yeah, like it, it was just like, it was the perfect moment. You know what I mean? Like it was the moment that mm. like everything, everything was just set up for it to be awesome. Like it's one thing to writing it, you know, lot in Oklahoma, the, the first, week in august but mm. it's a whole nother thing to ride him at the nfr round eight you know to to pretty much solidify my gold buckle so yeah it was pretty special that's a, that's a good way to put an exclamation point on it and through how how was like throughout your seven gold buckle like how is how did the the, the things go like you said you had for that one you hadn't had it sewed up at the beginning you really had to work the 10 days and then you've had times when you've kind of went in the outright leader and, and held on to it like how how does that affect again your mental state and how you approach the the ten days in Vegas? It it's just a marathon. That's it, it sounds so easy, and some years it is. Like that was you know like, like you always hear how tough the NFR is. Well, I didn't ever really like know that until probably like four years into my career. 
mm-hmm. because like I come in, you know, the hot shot rookie that it really like my ignorance was probably what made me so good at the time. Cause like, I just, I didn't know any better. Like I just thought I was the best bull rider in the world and that's just how it was. You know what I mean? And like, oh, it's CNFR. It's like, well, I win everything. So run them in. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, it was honestly just like my, my ignorance and my stupidity and a, and a touch of arrogance at the time um, that probably made me so successful. Cause and, and like it all happened like just perfect storm, man. Because um, 2014 roll in, like there's a lot of questions, right? Like, am I that good? NFR bull this, NFR bull that. Because I really hadn't been on that many like NFR caliber bulls. You know, like we'll probably get on 10, 15 bulls that have been to the NFR like throughout the year. And it's just the fact that like when you go to Pro Bowl stats and look their name up, like they have the PBR finals NFR by their name. Like that's mm-hmm. intimidating. You know what I mean? Um. But so first bull rolls in, um, I got bucking bull of the year that year across the Wyoming line. And I was like, well, all right, like here's the time, you know, <laughs> put up or shut up. Um, but honestly, like that was probably the best thing that happened to me because he comes out. I wrote him probably, I don't know, three, four, maybe five seconds and uh, slams me pretty good. But it was one of those deals like I felt pretty good on him too. And I was like, all right, like that one was just nerves. And it, at the end of the day, like – I'm, I'm well aware of the stats about bull riding. You know, you know what I mean? Like most guys would have been like broken hearted that they bucked off their first bull at the NFR. Like the stats say, I probably only ride that bull at the time, probably 25% of the time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I felt like I rode pretty good. Um, the second bull going into it though, uh, gin and juice of Sammy Andrews. I had just got on that bull at Amarillo and he absolutely wore me out. Like it wasn't even a competition. So it was like, Oh, um, but got him road actually got super lucky about the, the second round. Um, he really tipped me into my hand and, uh, I actually caught my loop on him and kept me from getting bucked off. And like literally right after I got him road, that was just, it was the all downhill from there. The, uh, you, you mentioned the stats side of things. And so you, and pro bowl sets is a huge, probably a huge asset. And, um, we've worked with Slade to help him on some of the video clips. I remember Slade and I got some of that going a while ago and we sent him lot of stuff from up our way. And, um, we can talk Canada. Like there's a lot of different ways we can go again. Uh, I want to, I want to ask before we move, uh, into the pick, picking of the bulls piano far away. It's always oh, yeah. fun to hear like how the process of that, like, we talk with uh, like some of the Canadian guys and how that goes. Like, does it ever get heated in the when you guys are picking the bulls, or like how much of a say does everybody have, or like how like I, I want to know the process you guys go through every year picking the bulls for really NFR. It does get heated, man. Like, cause it's it's such a big deal, and like I don't know, I I take such like I take it very very serious, probably more serious than like I actually should, honestly strictly because like there's a lot there's a lot riding on our decisions like not only is it um you know what bulls are there but it's like a lot of contractors make their entire year off how many animals they get to the nfr um the last thing you want to do is have a guy not have a fair chance to win out there um it, it definitely gets like it gets really heated and then you have like you know guys that have their personal friendships and personal relationships that they like they bring in a jaded view of some of the bulls into that. Um, 
the thing for me, like looking at it, it with quite a bit of experience doing it now is like the one thing that really matters is bulletproof animals. And when I say that, like, I mean, if one of them's got a loophole, man, you'll see it at the NFR. And the, the thing that most people don't realize about the NFR, like those animals come out a week early, they come to a totally different climate, which is a huge difference for animals. I mean, a lot of the horse people understand that for sure, but like take, take Canada, for instance, like, you know, outlaw brings a set of bulls down. It could be negative 30 in Canada, <laughs> the week he leaves and he comes down to the NFR and it's 70 degrees in Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like that, that has a huge effect on bulls. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, if, if any one of them has like a loophole at all, just, they don't have a place being there. Even if they can be one of the rankest bulls in the world, like down in that setup, you got to buck them twice too. Like down in that setup, if there is a loophole, you'll see them run off at least once. And that that's the biggest thing is like, they come down there a week early they literally just hang out in the pens out there. You know what I mean? Um, it, the day that they buck, they're brought in several hours before the performance. Um, like it's just long, hard days on them. Just no different than what the NFR is for all the Cowboys. And it's, it makes it, like I said, the, the, the biggest thing is you just have to take bulletproof animals because if not, you know, that, that can be superstar. <laughs> You're going to be, waving at the announcers on the way by because he's not going to perform. Um, how many phone calls do you get after the stock list comes out from upset oh, contractors? Quite a few. Um, <laughs> and that's my thing. Like somehow, I guess because like I've won the world a few times and like I've, I'm one of the veterans on the call. Like they, they think that like, it's my pick, I guess, because all mm -hmm. of them call me and they're like, well, what the heck? Like, what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> guys like i'm one of 15 and at the end of the day like it all comes down to our bull riding director cody Rostocki. like he's the guy that that truly makes the decision like at the end of the day like, like if it's just tied he's the tiebreaker you know what i mean and it's <laughs> it's one of those things it's yeah I, I think people think i have a lot more pull than i do which i'm sure <laughs> my opinion you know carries a little bit of weight but it's not the whole like it ain't the Sage Kimsey show. I promise you that. <laughs> I, I feel like I have a really educated opinion, but at the end of the day, I'm one of 15 guys that gets on the call. Who's the, who's the worst guy to pick bulls with? <laughs> the worst guy. Um, probably Boudreaux Campbell. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Cause Boudreaux's really smart about things, but he, He's the guy that, like, he'll see a, a bull be a superstar twice, and he'll be like, we need that bull at the finals. Like, he's amazing. But, um, like, it's not – he's not the type of bull that is really, like, would do good in that environment. You know what I mean? And you saw yeah. him run off twice, too. So he was 90 twice, and he was 72 <laughs> twice. We like, oh, we got to have that one. That's the best the yeah. one. Um, yeah. What was it like competing with, with JB for a full season and then having him with the NFR – last year um it was like i'm trying to describe it it, it was good don't get me wrong like mm. i i like jb and um you know especially him with samantha and, and jagger all year like it was good seeing him it was 
I don't know. I guess it wasn't that different. The only thing, like, you really see the the star power that that guy has, I guess, was the the only thing that was, like, surprising to me. Um, and I guess not, not even surprising. It was just different to see that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, in, in person, at every rodeo we went to, like, there'd just be a line of people everywhere all the time for him. No way. There's not, there's not many, there's not many guys in rodeo or bull riding that have that star power these days. Like, like I I would see pictures on Facebook of him, any, any little pro rodeo he was at, like you said, people lined up like to the parking lot trying to get autographs just to visit with him for a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Was, is there a bit of jealousy there? Since you've won seven gold buckles, he's only got two, but he, he's got that following. Uh, No, I, are you talking for me? No. Yeah, like I'm just sure. wondering though, like because like technically you've, like I guess he's won seven million. You've won over three in the on the PRCA side of things, but I guess like the PBR has helped build his brand even even more than than technically than parse. Like I I guess some could argue that you know you've won more, but but that that gets into my, another question about who do you think the greatest ever is and what is that what is that? I think we asked him that same question, and he argued that it had to be had to be Donnie because he won so many times. Yeah. It's right? Donnie hundred percent. Like you yeah. can't, I, I don't, I don't even know that, that like that's arguable to be honest. Yeah. And the thing is like, the, it's no different than, you know, like basketball, whenever you start comparing like generations, right. I don't think you can compare across generations. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Donnie gay hundred percent. And like strictly just for doing it that long. I, I think that's the thing that nobody really, like understands it's not in like the thick of it. You know what I mean? And it's no different than like Tom Brady playing football. Like it's one thing to come out and be a stud at 20 years old. You know what I mean? And it's one thing to go win a couple championships and, um, you know, have some success and, you know, right off into the sunset at an early age. Like it's, that's a whole nother ball game than a guy like Donnie Gay that literally comes out and wins, you know, six gold buckles relatively quick. Um, turns around, takes him a couple years, I think, to win the seventh and then literally retires from the sport of bull riding, thought he'd never ride again and comes back and wins the world. Like it's, and, and you're talking about a period of, what what did he win the win his first one in like seventy one? Seventy four. I'm just looking back. So seventy four. He won four. Seventy four. Won his last one in eighty four. Yeah, in eighty four. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, yeah, he won four. Then Butch Kirby won in seventy eight. Then he won three. So he had seven, seven and eight years, which is identical to yourself. Yeah, seven and eight years, and then two years off and one wins the eighth in eighty four. Yeah. So that's kind of wild actually because you won your first in fourteen. So yeah. then even if you, well, this year's for sure off. So you could come back and do, you could have eight in, in nine or eight and 10 years where he has eight and 11. So yeah, interesting. So, so when but you do no, you get, when you do get that eight, eighth gold buckle, when the conversation comes up, like how do you compare the two? Like who do you, who, how does the greatest ever conversation change? Something I've, I've asked yeah, this to well, a few other people. That's the thing. I think it's, it's incomparable. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you could, you could make a pot of coffee and and talk until the very end of it and you're not going to 
like they'll just be it's it's just an opinion at the end of the day like there's no mm. there's no fact that you can be like well you know sage won 27 gold buckles and donnie only won eight like even if i do end up you know right until i'm 45 and winning 20 gold buckles like they'll always be the asterisks or the old timers they're like well all the bull riders worked together back then and we didn't have the pbr <laughs> to split the time you know what i mean like it's it, it's apples it, it's apples and oranges really like even though it's the same sport but it's no different too like bill russell has 11 11 nba world championships it, 11 nba world championships is not possible in today's world period and you, but like, and you never hear him in the conversation is the greatest ever it's always michael jordan or lebron yeah Steph and everybody else yeah um and so, that's what i'm saying like it's it's just opinions and and whatever else like but yeah it's i, I don't think that they'll it'll ever be like solved like i don't think there's anything i could do even if i won won three more go buckles over there and then won another two three world titles in the pbr or like there would still be people that's like oh well all the bull riders aren't together you know what i mean like, it just, <laughs> yeah. it never satisfy everybody yeah so so in saying that, where would you rank someone like JB then? And the, on the all-time list, like we made a we made a list uh, uh, of Canada, and then we made a list uh, like of Canadian bull riders, bulldoggers, bronc riders. So we kind of made a list like that, and it's a goal of mine to do one of these. We'll probably start in the world on the bull riding side, and you know to do it objectively. I think we have to do it yeah. based on the world titles and and whatnot. But like, you know, based on that. I think JB he makes that list pretty high up, but I, I don't know where at this point yet, right? Because you got to have Adriano, and you got to have Silvano uh, Silvano up high for winning the PBR three times. But then JW Harris, you know, he was in the conversation to to uh, beat Donnie's oh, yeah. record early on in the you know between 08 and twenty thirteen. So yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I, I wonder. Mean, JB's definitely top ten. You know what I mean? Like for sure. Yeah. Um, is he top five? I don't know. Because it, it depends on, yeah, it depends on how far back you go to. And because, yeah, like, it, there's a bunch of, like, legends, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's the thing, like, especially when you go to really, like, talking about, you know, like, what guys did and this and that. Because the sport's changed a lot. Like, the big question is, where do you put a guy like Denny Flynn? You know what I mean? Wins the mm -hmm. average three times, never really rodeoed hard, never won the world absolutely you know an incredible bull rider mm -hmm. and but that's the thing like do you go strictly off accolades or do you go off talent or you know or riding the rankest bulls which you know jb and yourself you guys are high on that list for riding the mm -hmm. rankest ones jose setting you know making some of the greatest bull rides we've ever seen uh mm -hmm. chris shivers made how shivers. many 90 point rides in his career yeah i think so, so. One thing I've been thinking about all this NFR talk is, do you think we'll see somebody ride all 10 bulls of the NFR in, in this era of bull riding? Or ever yeah. again. Or ever again, yeah. It'll happen. Just the thing is, like, all the stars have to align. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, yeah, it's it, it will happen. Because, honestly, like, guys are too good nowadays. It, the caliber of bull riders that, that people are watching on a day-to-day -day basis is so strong now compared to what it was even like five years ago. Um, it's like all of these kids ride really mm. good. So it'll definitely happen because at some point, like a bull can only buck so hard. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the kind of the way the whole industry is going, especially with the futurities and stuff, like it's more 
rider friendly type bulls um instead of like the big yank your face off you know knock your teeth out type bulls um with that being said like it whoopaw's a perfect example of that you brought up jose being you know 90 almost 99 points it's like whoopaw bucks harder or as hard as any bull ever and they're riding 50 percent of the time mm-hmm. like it sheer bucking power doesn't throw guys off anymore um it, it's more to do with like it, the bad bulls that actually like i say bad bulls um the the tough to ride bulls mm-hmm. throw guys off not how ranked they are and that's honestly i think it'll probably be easier for a guy to ride 10 the the further we get along because like even you watch the videos back of like jim sharp and norman curry and all them like on the freaking big yellow whales from (laughs) washington and you know over in the pacific northwest that they were having to get on like the caddis bulls right those were hard bulls to ride you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so it's in a way it, it hasn't like it's gotten harder to stay on bulls, but you're only talking about 10 bulls too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like the overall percentage lowers, but really like the big thing is I feel like every year you always have one or two goes at the NFR that like are bad goes, if you will. And for a guy to ride 10, he can't have any of those. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Why do you, why do you guys have to take those, those tough ones still? Like, is that part of the, the deal and the, and the thought process, like, Oh yeah, that one's, they don't ride him very much, but he might be a hunk of garbage. Like, do you still like, how do you get around not taking those bulls and just taking a pen of 93 pointers for every round for the whole time? Like you got to set the pens a little bit, but like some of it's up to you guys on what you bring as well and how mad the contractors get when oh. you just bring the hard ones. It, it's all up. It's all up to us. And that's, it's, I'm probably not the guy to ask this to because I am always very opinionated on leaving the eliminators at home because, and because we really don't have any eliminators anymore, man. Mm. Like it's it, the days of the old school eliminator is just, it's over because the old school eliminator, even if you do stay on them at the NFR, they're going to mark you 78 points. And it's like, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah, exactly. It's like the the fans don't like watching this ball hop and skip around the arena. It, we don't like getting on them. The judges don't like watching it. It what's what's the point in doing this, right? And that's the thing that like I'm fine with having like we've got it set up now to where we kind of have like this semi eliminator pin, and basically it's like it, it's our four pin. So it's it's a step below the really ranked bulls because. And really, too, like the PBR kind of like makes it a lot more difficult for us to set our our pins too, because not only like the bull power is split a lot, mm-hmm. um, so it's just it, it makes it it makes it hard because like you know you look down the list and like you know we'll have four hundred bulls sent in that we have to go through um, and cut them down to a hundred. And the, the very first thing, the way I look at it is like the very first thing you do is you go set your rank pin of bulls because man, really there's only about 20 really rank bulls out there. Um, so you go through and you set your, you know, try to find your rankest 17, 18 bulls, um, which will cover your 15 ounce plus rerides for your, your rank pin of bulls. Um, 
then the next thing is, is, is you go into the four pin and same exact thing. Like you take your next 17, 18 hardest to ride bulls, the rankest bulls, but the big kicker on it is you have to make these pins even now. And, you know, you take a bull like bruiser or, you know, whoopah that bucks extremely hard, but like relatively easy to ride. Like I, I say easy, that's not the right word, but like the Easier. success rate on them is high. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now you take a bull like, like spotted demon back in his pride or smooth operator back in his prime like those bulls buck really hard they both belong in the rank pen but you know it's not really extremely fair to put somebody on bruiser and put somebody on smooth operator like mm-hmm. it's in the same and that's pen, where man. the balancing act comes because like those bulls have to be in the rank pen right and yeah. i think the last year that we took spotted demon we actually put him in the four pin which was like our semi eliminator pin um strictly because like he was just harder than all the other like ranked bulls we had in the five pin, which is weird. I know it's, it, there's a lot that goes into it though is, and especially with trying to make it all even is very difficult. Like the, the one, the one, two, and even like the three pin, like they're, they're really easy to set, but the four and five pin is really difficult to get it all even and get the bulls matching up. Well, dang, there's lots to this. I never and some stuff that I never thought about. More of a science. I love it. Yeah. Uh okay, we we uh we should probably kind of almost wrap things up here pretty quick. Uh I don't want to keep you too much longer. We I gotta ask uh who you're most excited to see you ride at the NFR this year that you uh that you haven't maybe seen that hasn't been there before. There's only a couple guys, but one of our guys hoping we make it is Jared Parsonage. Um one of the taller guys that that's going down the road these days. Um and then I gotta ask what's your role going to be in Vegas this year? If you're not competing, uh, what are you going to do? Have you had the talks? Are you going to, you know, take over for Donnie on the back of the shoots? Are you guys going to do it together? Or like, what's the, you know, what, what's that look like? What do you got on the, in the works? Yeah, no, no idea what, what Vegas is going to look like for me. I know it's going to be really weird. Uh, this is the first time in a long time that, you know, I won't be competing out there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's hopefully I'll be involved in in some way. I definitely don't want to take jo- Donnie's job at all, um, because I think he just does a way better job than I would. So it's <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not ever even like that thought would never cross my mind. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, no, it's I'm thoroughly gonna enjoy watching all the bull riding. Um, it would be it'd be super cool to see some some new faces to the NFR that have been like Jerry Wayne's a perfect example. Like, you know, guy guy's been rodeoing for a long time, never really went that hard. Um, you know, but could, could sneak in there. Obviously excited to watch my little brother. Um, and the way it's shaping out this year, looks like it might be a really good world title race between Stetson and Josh, at least like on paper coming in. But it seems like there's always the guy that steps in and knocks the first, you know, three, four rounds out of the park at the NFR. And it's, you know, Stetson's going to be there in two events, makes it harder for him. Like, I, I guess I'm just going to be more excited to just be a fan of it than be wrapped up in the madness that the NFR is. Um, so, you know, like, like I said, I'm just going to enjoy every part of it and, and honestly just, just get to enjoy just being a fan of it. Okay. I got one more I got to get to, and then we'll, Wacy, I'll hand it over. But <laughs> so, um, 
JW Harris had the goal to, to beat Donnie's record. You've got guys like Jess Lockwood. We thought he's going to win five or six world titles. JB, we thought he could have won a couple more. Just McBride could have won multiple times. Galermi, um, Silvano wins three pretty early on and now hasn't won one in a bit. I've, I've thought about this a little bit, talking to you guys that have won them multiple times. And I, I wonder what the motivation is to keep going and keep pushing and, and break those records. Even once you're at an extremely high level, you know, even Jose, Jose's won two now and then, and then misses, uh, this past season. But like after you're winning millions of dollars, like what's, how do you, how do you keep motivated and what, like for you, what, what keeps you, what's the drive? What keeps it going? Yeah. See, so that, that's the big thing, man. And I think that's, that's the reason you don't see these record books toyed with very much. Um, because like you start out and, you know, for me, and this has been something that I've really had to work with. So I'm glad you hit on, hit on this topic. Um, because it, my motivation is always changing. Right. Um, it, you know, at 18 years old, step out, get my permit. It, like all I want to do is ride bulls, man. Like I don't care about any of the nonsense. Like I just want to go freaking stomp down some bramers and, you know, have some fun along the way doing it. Um, no real thought about anything, you know what I mean? Like just didn't, didn't know, didn't care, whatever, like run them in. Um, moving forward, you know, like, well, the older you get, it's like, well, okay. Like maybe I need a house and maybe I, you know, like want like some things to call my own. And, and, um, so that kind of like shifts the thing to like, well, maybe, maybe money is, you know, the, a, a really big driving force in what you're doing. Well, it's like, that's fine for a little while. And then you're at, you know, you're say you're five years in at this point and you're 23 and you have, you know, a big place paid off and you got some cattle and you got this and you got that. Um, and like, you have a really nice life set up for yourself, probably, a better life than what you could have ever imagined for yourself without the sport of bull riding. So you have all this going on at 23 and you're just like, it, it's very easy for guys to look around and just be like, Oh man, like why, you know, like, why would I, why would I go back and do it? Like, you don't really need to, like I got my place and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm just done. Well, so then, you know, you, you find some, some new motivation for, for me, it was, you know, like not, like really not leaving that, that thing there where I could look back and, you know, be regretful of like not putting my best foot forward and trying. Um, also right then, it, you know, I was 21 when Alexis and I started dating. So I had her pushing me this whole time, which was really, really good for me. Um, because it was one of those things like kept me grounded and really kept me like, um, moving in the right direction. Um, and so, yeah, you know, for me, as you roll around and yeah, at this point, you know, 25 years old, um, got a better life than I could ever dream. Um, you know, get, I got married that year. Um, just like a lot of like life going on, you know what I mean? And that's the thing is it's just the guys that can put all of that, not really on the back burner, but it's, it's be able to juggle all of that. You know what I mean? And and have the desire and the want to is is super, super impressive. Because like at this point for me, the only reason I ride bulls um 
for one is, is like definitely to support my family, right? Like it, it supports my family, but also to, to inspire the young kids, man. And that, that's what I really draw, draw motivation off of. Like, it's not, it's not something that I go out and do for myself because like myself is pretty content with, with where I'm at and everything. Um, but the thing is, is like, there's so many young kids that need, that need to hear a lot and need to see, need to be inspired at the end of the day. Like that's the, that's the greatest thing about sports is, is the ability to inspire people in some way or another. Um, and, you know, like that's what I'm out here grinding for. I think it's, a, it's really impressive to to keep pushing and to keep pushing the limits on those records. Like you say a lot of guys don't like get to a certain point. And they don't really you know, we don't see the record books get changed because they get content with that early on. Whereas you've kept on pushing. And I think that's really cool to show the next generation that these records can be broken. It's not impossible to be done. Yeah. Well, and like there's a double edged sword to everything, too. Right. Because it's like I've I've sacrificed a lot in my life to to be in the position I'm in and that's just I don't know man like you, you can you can look at it however you want to but it is it's one of those deals that like I know what I would have needed to hear you know 12 year old Sage Kimsey needed to hear from from the champion of the world and, and me me stepping into that role was really like hard for me to like imagine myself because man at the end of the day like I went from 18 year old kid to the guy that these young kids watched at the NFR and looked up to, like it was a really quick time span of that for me. Um, so stepping into kind of like that leadership and inspirational role was something that I, I wasn't very good at at the start. And it took me longer than what I would have liked to like be the leader in the locker room and be like the leader for a bunch of guys. Um, but it's something that now like I'm very aware of and it means, it means a lot to me because I care about the sport so much. You know what I mean? It, it can get heavy to carry that at, at times too. Hey, like that's a, it's a big weight on your shoulders. Like you said, especially at a young age. Like, yes and no, but that's the thing is, it, you know, you look at generations previous and it's, there was a lot of, a lot of examples set that weren't what I envision being a true professional would like, that would be the example to follow. Um, and so that's the thing for me is like, man, if I could, if I can help one kid, you know what I mean? At, at that point, my career was a success. And that's, that's honestly what drives me to, you know, try to be the best person that I can. And I slip up. I'm not perfect. Right. But try to be a, a really good person. Try to try to just live how, how I want my legacy to be remembered. And then how all these young kids can build off, can build off what I did and it just make their lives easier, honestly. Cause like, it's, it's a tough world to be thrown into. And like, especially even like generations before me, it's like, at 18, you just get thrown into the rodeo world. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no handbook that tells you how to go be a professional rodeo cowboy. And you know, how many super talented young kids were, were ruined because they got in with the wrong crowd or, you know, how many, you know, 
not real talented kids overperformed because they had the good role models around them and they, you know, had this and that, like there's, you, you see it both ways, but that's my thing. Like if I can, if I can cut down that learning curve for these kids and it can be like, well, you know, Sage did it this way and you know, I like him. So I'm going to do it that way. It is my duty and my honor to make sure that the playbook that I leave for them is a good one. So are you taking, are you taking people along with you now, like traveling, like taking them on the road with you or like who, who have you traveled with over the past few years and who have you been your influences besides the guys like Donnie and, and that kind of crew, who, who have you been going with and bringing along? Um, Josh Frost has probably been, probably been the biggest one. Tyler was hurt last year and then obviously I'm hurt this year. Um, but yeah, so Tyler Bingham has been my traveling partner for probably I don't even know, five years, six years, maybe probably, probably four or five years. Um, and then Josh jumped in last year. And, uh, like I said, Tyler was hurt last year. So it was pretty much just me and Josh, um, Clayton Sellers jumped in at the end of the year, but, um, yeah, probably, probably Josh, as far as like the recent history has been kind of like the guy that, you know, he's been like my go-to as far as bull riding goes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways we could go here. I, uh, I forgot to ask the part about, about where, uh, where a couple of your current sponsors are at, um, Huey and Wrangler. Are, are you still with, uh, I see you're wearing the Huey gear right now, but is, um, are you still with Wrangler at this point? Like, because Huey's kind of getting into some of the denim and shirts now, it might be a bit of a conflict. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a little sticky right now. Um, but I, I am still with Huey. I'll just put it that way. Okay. Um, I got to say, I was at the Choctaw the other day. That's a heck of a place. You guys get to go there on like a little bit of a close to home staycation once in a while. I was there for a meeting for Montana Silversmiths. Uh, that's pretty impressive. It's an incredible facility. I was blown away whenever we went up um, and got to tour kind of the whole thing and they gave us a rundown. But that was actually Alexis and I were just talking about how we needed to take a little staycation one weekend, especially because. It's not like my schedule's real full right now. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like in the near future we're going to gonna run up there and uh, have a couple days up at the Chalk Talk because it is it's the thing for me. Like I've never walked in, and granted, it's a brand new facility and all the things, but uh, the new part of the casino is a non-smoking facility, and I've never walked into a casino and it actually like it smells nice and new. <laughs> it and, does like it smells good in that casino which is just crazy the uh you got to make sure you get to the steakhouse a few nights food food is very uh very outstanding so would recommend yeah it's it. incredible that was what is it is it 18 1842 yeah something like that i think it is yeah and uh spot. yeah it's that is an amazing place for sure um the uh okay couple of quick ones is that bruiser ride your most memorable ride and which buckle um, is the one you wear on a day-to-day basis and, or the most, most memorable for you? What are you, what are you wearing? I remember, I remember you wearing something before that. I don't recall the story on it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so bruiser is probably, yeah. I mean, I've got, got a bunch of really big rides like Bru- the bruiser one is super, super cool. Um, and then whenever I rolled Pearl Harbor and Bismarck as well was like, mm. Um, probably it's probably like the two, those are the two rides that really stand out to me. 
Uh, I'm actually up in my trophy room right now and I'm looking at everything, but um, yeah, I'd say those two. Um, for years, I always wore my 2014 world champion buckle um, just because it was the one that like I had on my belt and it, there's a, a certain patina look on the gold buckles like after you wear them for a while and I don't know, just never really changed it for whatever reason. Um, here in the last, probably, well, the last year I started wearing my, my latest go buckle, which would be, um, the 21. Uh, I don't really know why. Um, it was just one of those things, like I got to thinking about it and I was just like, man, like, I guess it was more like mentally for me to like make myself feel younger. And like, I was still, um, you know, like the top dog because it's one of the, like, especially losing in 2020, um, like 2014 to now is a long time ago. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I would say more, yeah, it was more like a subconscious decision of like, you know, like almost like stepping into the new school, I guess. Cause that's the thing. Like I'm not, I'm not close to done yet, you know? And oh, yeah. that's, yeah, it was just more of like a, you know, 14's in the past. We'll leave it in the past. We'll step into the future, and there you not go. Not that old. I'm not that old. Yeah, Can't not wait. that old. You mentioned you're in your trophy room. What's the most unique thing you've won in a bull riding match? Or rodeo? Thing. Or the coolest? The coolest, most unique? Something. That's not a buckle. Oh. Oh, he's gonna get it. Nice. Being in America, I, I bet it's a, a a firearm of some sort. He probably has two trophy <laughs> rooms. His trophy room is probably as big as my apartment. <laughs> it's actually bigger than my house it is it is pretty good size um yeah you hate to be the uh the typical american but <laughs> the, the firearm for sure that's pretty badass yeah yeah that's that's for the top gun um at the nfr that year oh no and way it's like Dang. it's a, a beautiful pistol damn um dang yeah, that's probably like the, the coolest, prettiest thing. Um, the guitars from Houston were definitely different this year. Um, Austin gives a Brandon Iron. I'm just kind of like looking that's around. That's cool. Right Damn, that's a cool. One. Yeah, the, so the Brandon Iron's pretty cool. Um, they gave away a actually, surfboard at the at the PBR in Kelowna this year in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Corpus does that too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Corpus does that too. It's I thought that was really cool. Um, the gold medal from Salt Lake is like that's pretty cool yeah if you won the top gun before the end of the nfr would you consider putting the holster on your belt while you rode <laughs> and then firing off a couple of blanks at, at the, at, like at the whistle it would it would be pretty cool um sorry Wace. you better wrap it up yeah you? it's all good yeah thanks for the time today sage it's been awesome I, I think we can go on for another hour and a half here if we wanted oh, to yeah um <laughs> but, we'll, but we'll, we'll we'll let you go and we'll wrap it wrap it up with our final question we ask all of our guests what is your definition of cowboy shit oh mine's probably gonna be a little different than most but i'd say cowboy shit in general is uh just being a cowboy and to me that's there's certain unwritten rules, doing things the right way, being a good person. Your word is your bond. Your handshake's worth more than anything. Just treating people with respect and dignity that deserve it. So that's my answer. Well, thanks, Sage. We appreciate you doing this and taking the time and 
and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you down the road somewhere soon. You bet. Thanks, guys. Okay, we'll see ya. A race in the bull riding. Your man from Salado, Texas, with over four hundred and eleven thousand dollars. Now a seven-time world champion, Sage Kimsey. <clears throat> Thank you to Sage Kimsey for the time and uh, and the show, and uh, I think that that was a pretty fun one. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great, man. Yeah, it's it's always cool to talk to to someone like him. It's cool to kind of hear some stories that a guy probably wouldn't get to hear that often if you didn't sit down with the guy. True. And, okay. and, I, and, I, and I think he's going to do really well on the TV side of things. Oh, I think he is doing really well. If he didn't do well, they wouldn't hire him back. So so I think he is doing good. Even though we can't watch it, I'm sure he's kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I, bet, I bet he would analytically break it down well. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be, it'd, it'd be cool to have someone in the booth. I mean, obviously they have the right people in place all the time, but just, and so someone's so current too. But part of the, part of that job though, is people that do it well, and you would know this with hockey, the guys that do it well, break things down and give, they give uh good content, number one, right? So good mm-hmm. content. It can't just be, um, what I say? It can't just be generic bullshit. Like where we, you know, I get on a show. I'm like, Hey, how are things? Oh yeah, they're good. They're, you know, we're fun everything's awesome. Great. Okay. Bye. Like people don't give a shit if you're not giving them real, like actual information. So if you can give them good content, teach them something like, like so if some, some average fan, if they can learn something new, I think that's great. But like real actual concrete facts and, and stats and actual meat to the, to the content. And then the second thing is, is delivery. One person I think has done a really great job or a couple guys, Craig Hummer and Just McBride, those guys do an unreal job at the delivery of it. Yeah. Because you know, there can be somebody have, you know, have really great content, but if the delivery is boring or it's monotone or it's, you know, there's no energy to it, then mm-hmm. why do I want to get excited about that? If the person delivering the information isn't excited about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. And I think to the, being able to explain it in like layman's terms as well for the, yeah. for people like not being able to overcomplicate it is a, is a, is an art as well. It's kind of like, like, do you, do you listen, like Dustin McBride's really good at it. Even your, you look at a hockey guys, like, the some of the guys uh, like Ray Ferraro is really good at it. Like those guys who yeah. kind of dumb it down, but still explain it at a high level is really cool. Unlike Hunter Ryan Singh, that just doesn't do a good job of it on or, the, on the hockey. I don't. I I well, you know what? As much as I hate Louis Dubrovsky, does a good job too. But he's too much of a yeah. homer. For, he's too much of a homer <laughs> for me. There was somebody else. Um, I remember somebody telling me they didn't like really like Kelly Rudy on the broadcast either on the hockey. He's okay. He's okay. He's not my favorite. He's like. He's one of those guys who has good content, but his delivery isn't the best all the time. Maybe off. And I like he Rick Ball. Over himself. Yeah, as Rick far Ball's as play deadly. by play go, play by play goes. He does a really he's great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then Jack Michaels guys, huge energy. Like for anyone that's a hockey fan, though, I've been told this play by play guy for radio and sometimes TV. Does yeah. a great job as far as yeah, the delivery and the excitement is is all there. Man, hockey's almost back. We forgot about that. Hockey I'm is excited about that back. part. The Can't like wait. preseason starts while we're on the road. The Young there, Stars actually, tournament starts to starts this weekend in Penticton. <sighs> Dang. Okay, so hockey's almost back. Who's our picks this year? Probably Colorado again. No uh, contest. I don't think I, I don't well, I don't know. There's a few teams like They've I think lost some guys got, though. Edmonton got better. And it, they also don't have their their goaltending's not salt like as solid as like nobody knows what's gonna happen to their goaltending because they got that gorgeous. Jack Camel's any good? Well, no, for the Colorado, they got Gorgia oh. over Kemper, right? So there's oh, a yeah, goaltending yeah. there. Lost a couple, like, lost Kadri, a couple key guys there. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. But I think the, the Pacific teams like Calgary and Edmonton have a good shot. You think Calgary is of... better or worse than they were before? Uh, 
I think that they're better to an extent. Like they're not going to score as many goals as they did last year, but they're better all around. Like they have the best, like some of the best center in the like the best centers in the league now. Like down the middle left, like Michael Backlund's their third line center, so that's pretty sick. And then they're you don't course, so deadly. you don't. Well, I guess Kachuk left too. I was gonna say you don't think Huberto is gonna score more than Kachuk or than Goudreau, but well, if they score the same, I think that they're gonna. I don't think you're gonna have two hundred point first hundred point players in your first line this year. I don't but know I who do the other hundred point guy would be. I guess, hey, like I do think Kadri's that he's not going to get a hundred points. Huberto yeah, probably will. Huberto probably will, and I, I think that Lindholm will probably be like an 80, 90 point guy. Depends going to be their their right winger. I don't know who that's going to be, but man, I think they're going to be just as good as good and contend for the the Pacific Division title once again. Like they're they didn't get any though. worse on they didn't get any worse on defense, and their goaltending stayed exactly the same. So yeah. there's just been some shuffling around chance. the top six. Yeah. Okay. I think Edmonton's going to do BBAT better too. They got better goaltending. I don't know if Jack Campbell's the guy to take him to the promised land, but he's definitely a lot better than the other two chumps they had there last year. <laughs> we will <laughs> see. Um, okay, and then I got to go back to the practicing in Sage because Sage, and there's there's two points to make, practice and bull riding. So uh, number one, Gary had the story about, about uh, he told on the show about Luke Perry. He had him on the bucket machine and on the on the drop barrel and and taught him how to ride a bull without ever getting on a bull. And then he got on a bull and he wrote, made an 83-point ride. And the visualization side of things. So, you know, I don't think this practice thing is all it's cracked up to be, especially when it's not the right stock. If I was getting on a bull today, I would not get on anything unless I knew exactly fucking what it was. And, so, you know, who would be a good person to have this conversation with is Cody Custer. He's really advocates true. on the like, like true. walking your way up, like the, the ladder yeah. the right way. And he, he yeah. you know, like the, the right kind of practice is such a big mm-hmm. deal to him. So, so, so that good. part, that part of it. And then there's something else, but. I don't know. Whatever. That's I'm with you on that. Um, what else we got? You had a question that you wanted to get to. Oh yeah. What is your what? So this is kind of my random list of questions. We need something to talk about. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite thing about when you pull up to a rodeo? The first thing that you that that you like. Oh damn! I fucking love this shit when you drive is up this, to a rodeo. Is this before I've set up or after? <laughs> <laughs> Setting up aside. Don't 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 think it's it <laughs> like. What's your favorite thing about favorite thing about being at a rodeo? I guess you could say. Hmm. From a even from a fan perspective, mm. or from whatever, just favorite thing about being at a rodeo. Favorite thing, I would probably say when I'm getting nervous, like playing like the hot song. That's probably one of my favorite things right now, as far as nice. the action of doing doing the show. And then, even if some folks don't like it, I do like the sing along parts of the night because there's, you know, going back to the flames and the production, which which I put my name in to be the music guy for the flames. Just to see what would happen, just for fun. But there's nothing louder at an event than the crowd. There's no and and in Armstrong, I don't know if we talked about this, but there wasn't anything that I could have done in Armstrong on the last night to be louder with the PA system than the crowd was. So the crowd actually beat up the PA. They were so loud. So yeah, going back to the flames, like they keep the music on during the sing alongs, like no, you turn that shit off and you let the crowd go because the more that we let the crowd go, the more the louder they're going to be encouraged to be and to fill up the space. And when somebody's making a really good ride, like you know, you were at the playoffs last year, like there was nothing louder than the crowd. You can't get crazy. louder than 20,000 yeah. people with anything you're doing in the, like as far as the audio side goes, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's my favorite part is the, the hot song when I'm nervous getting ready to go and then the crowd when they really get hyped up and amped up. And then I could say the smell. Cause it's a very distinct smell oftentimes. 
like indoor rodeo smell is the fucking best like walking into like yeah. the cfr or like a finals and you just smell the dirt in like a building that dirt's not supposed to be in yeah what do you call that yeah. a juxtaposition yeah pretty much yeah yeah that's cool nice what about you wacy um for me it's like the external stuff like visiting with people like whether it be committee folks oh, or that's true too or like uh old friends or whatever just sitting around having a beer afterwards like that stuff's so fun got to do a lot of that this summer can um, i change my answer i take it back now <laughs> no you're just a good answer like well but that's whatever. true too though i love that too man yeah i think everybody just, does right that's one of the cool less, things about being part of it right i feel like i have less downtime for some of that though but i know brett and i stayed up in the room till probably one or two o'clock in the morning on sunday night after armstrong and then yeah. got up at 6 a.m to drive home but we were like Though I agree with you that, that those are even better than the act than the action. Cause yeah. I get to really connect with people and kind of relax. Well, and even, and even for me this summer, one of the coolest things has been showing Jen all the stuff that I've got to show her. Like she doesn't come from, like she's been an Armstrong IPE, but she's got to experience rodeo. And her cookies in the contest, contest, but she's never got to experience like rodeo at a like the level she has the vip like, tent the, thanks yeah to vip yeah, vip stuff and just meeting everybody and like she got to do that come to that perfect bull busting with me and dvj and all that fun kind of behind the scenes stuff that she never would never have had that opportunity to so it's been fun to share that with her too i've been I've really behind the scenes that. eh yeah yeah it's cool just the little things that person gets to do that way huh mm-hmm. I like it. I or like even it. winning winning the fucking wild cow racing with josh at, <laughs> at cocker and like josh has never stepped foot in a rodeo arena in his life like and never been around. Yeah, it wins a buckle. Like that, that kind of stuff is, is wild, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I love that the rodeo doesn't give our rodeo gives people such an opportunity to do cool stuff like that. So sharing our lifestyle with others. I like. Yeah, that. there you go. I like it. Very nice. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap this up. You happy? Happy. Okay. Thanks everyone for tuning in, listening. If you have an opinion, please share it with us. Uh, and we, we're open to conversation. So, Hey, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe everybody's a big pussy. They should just get on more bulls. (laughs) But, uh, but if you would like to share your opinion in a a reasonable manner, give me a shout. Let's, uh, let's hear what you got to say. Let's create some conversation and, uh, and get some things going. Talk to you later. Parties in a deadly silhouette. She loves the cocaine, but cocaine don't love her back. When she's upset, she talks to Maury and takes deep breaths. She's a 90s supermodel. Uh, way back in high school, when she was a good Christian, I used to know her, but she's got a new best friend. A drag queen named the Virgin Mary takes confessions. She's a 90s supermodel. Yeah, she's a master, my compliments If you want to love her, just deal with her She'll never love you, more than money and cigarettes Every night's a heartbreak Hey, don't think about it, hey, just let her go Cause her boyfriend is a rock and roll Save her every moment till she has to go She's working around the clock When you're not looking She's stealing your box Low-waisted pants on only fans side 